All right. Hello, Internet, and welcome to another episode of the Goddamn Milkman, a mediated podcast. This time I have a guest, the the Captain Joel. Uh, hello and welcome. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Here on the dark, dark interwebs. Uh, so, I mean, we know each other because you were the most vocal fan of the old Spider-Man podcast I used to do. And we just kind of connected and idly chat on Twitter here or there. So, I mean, we, we know of each other, but I don't think we know each other super well or anything. Um, yeah. Uh, but you wanted to chat some comic stuff, and so we're just making that happen. But you had said you had some questions you wanted to ask me. I assume mostly comic, but I mean, I'm mostly open to whatever. I'm not giving my social security or anything, but pretty open. So uh, we're, we're just going to start there. Unless you wanted to let the people know something about where you're at online or anything like that. Yeah, um, I, I I don't really stream much, but I used to stream a lot on uh, Twitch. Uh, mainly, I just talk about Transformers on Twitter or X now. Um, so that's that's really me. You can just find me talking about Ben Riley usually, pretty much all the time, or find whenever I mention that I think Dan Slott has the best Spider-Man run, and uh, people hate me for that. So either oh. way, fun times. I, um, I wouldn't mind digging into that a little bit because I yeah. But before that, I'm actually curious, what did you stream? Like, were you on, like, one game, or is it just kind of a different thing every night? Uh, a lot of different video games. Uh, I did a lot of Fortnite. Um, okay. Yeah, that was that was really my main thing. Um, usually I do a, a stream every year for Extra Life. Uh, this year I'm going to be doing it uh, again. Not really sure what I'll be streaming yet, but uh, some games. Nice. Yeah. I know a big group that does Extra Life, and I kind of wish I could help, but don't think i'll be able to pitch in yeah you know? it's hey if you just want to like pop on and talk you can do that i mean people will watch pretty much anything uh because i think it's it's in support of uh children's hospitals uh it's really a great thing um last year i ended up doing um streams on video games as well as uh doing some toy unboxing stuff uh usually i end up working in some like uh trying out new foods or new sodas. Usually Mountain Dew has released their Christmas soda there. That's usually terrible. So I usually try that on stream for the first time. It's, it's a fun time. I used to be excited for all those new flavors and things. And then at a certain point, I think it just got to an age and all just tasted like chemicals. So I just stopped. Hey, let me tell you, you're not wrong. The last Mountain Dew for Christmas, um, it was uh, supposed to be cranberry, um, or whatever, you know, um, cranberry you know, like yeah, it was, uh, cranberry actually was the one a couple of years ago. Uh, I always think it's cranberry, you know, the, the terrible cake that you get for Christmas. It's always a joke. Um, fruitcake. Fruit, yeah. Fruitcake. It was fruitcake flavored and it tasted like bad wine. I mean, yeah, it sounds like they achieved their goal. I just don't know if the goal was worth it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's just it seems kind of evil. Uh, but I got like a twelve pack of that, and then drank like two and got sick. So it was it was a good time. Oh wow! All right, yeah. well there you go. Yeah. So on to the questions I had for you. Um, so let me just start at the the base one, which is a question I've actually had for a number of years. Why are you the goddamn milkman? 
<laughs> um, it's really not anything major. I just, uh, I had a friend who was like, I need a good screen name. I was like, oh, you just kind of like take one thing, mix it up and add something new. So I was like, you know, like Franklin is that gold goddamn Batman thing running around. Just take that, switch it up. Like, I don't know, Milkman. I was like, actually, no, that's too good. That's mine. You figure something else out. So, um, I just kind of spurted out and we're, I was talking screen names with a friend one time and it, I just, I like it. It sticks. It works. It's unique. It's the only it screen name I've ever had when I enter a video game that people will like comment on. Because I had a rash of them before I landed on this. Oh, what were you before? What 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 did this replace? Like just uh, Q42, I think was the bigger one. Or I had one that was some like food animal combination thing. That was what all my friends were doing. Um, okay, did it, was Q42 a Star Trek and Hitchhiker's Guide reference? Or yeah, basically. I also nice. liked that um, 4-2 kind of played in on a couple other things, and that Q also, like, let in on Bond and whatnot. Ooh, okay, yo, on multiple levels, I get it, okay. Yeah, but, yeah. But I, it was, I, I guess it was technically Godem Milkman, which is, doesn't make any sense. Technically biblical. Um and then I just brought it down to GD Milkman in most places because I started to, as the internet has become more censored, I started to run into problems where the fact I was trying to say, God damn, like it wouldn't let me type in. I get it. I, I, every time I see GD Milkman, I actually think of that uh, issue of whatever action or Superman where he grunted and said GD and everyone got upset about it. I, I didn't hear about that. Huh. Yeah, this happened like, geez, I don't know, probably like 10 years ago at this point. It was during the whole New 52 okay. thing. Um, Superman oh. knelt down and he like got, he had something really heavy and he just said GD. That was just his thing. And uh, there was like two or three people, I guess, who uh, went into a frenzy over it saying that he said goddamn in his comic or it was supposed to be a reference to goddamn uh, yeah. as if he would say that. <laughs> and it was just, it was really funny. I mean, he's from Kansas and it's a farmer and he's straining. I don't know anybody mad about that level. Um, was that during the Morrison run? Because that sounds no, like... it was not. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. I can actually totally just Google this and find out. Uh, I, thanks to the pattern of the internet. But that is actually a very good point. It would make sense if it was. Yeah, I, I mean, as I've gotten older, I'm a little less like, yeah, everyone should curse all the time or whatever. But I mean, there's definitely points where people get a little uh, saccharine about it. Uh, do you watch much Star Trek? I don't know. Oh, absolutely. I'm okay. a, uh, a very big Star Trek fan. Yes, sir. Okay. I don't I don't remember us ever intersecting on that. Um, how did you feel when Neutra came in? They were, frankly, at first cursing like sailors and then calm down at least a little wow you're right it was morrison it was morrison's action that's great um uh by new trek what do you mean exactly like uh sorry um I, my understanding is most people refer to new trek as um basically discovery and up all the new shows that have been paramount plus streaming exclusive haven't seen any of those yet but i oh, will say oh. watching um early next generation 
they don't curse very much and then they it's like they learn to curse it's like someone said damn for the first time on the enterprise and they all start cursing a lot more uh, right around i don't know see into season two early season three i like that a whole lot yeah there is a lot of stuff about the what because i mean i understand a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff and basically like roddenberry still had like a a big pull. throttle hold on what they could do and like how the uniforms looked and all this weird stuff. And then they had to loosen the reins and that's when the show became popular because they were allowed to like tell stories and have characters and weren't trying to ape the old stuff. And uh, immediately, yeah, a lot of that came through. So, I mean, yeah, some of that light cursing or whatever. It's very different though, because I know what you mean and you're right, that is technically cursing. But I mean, in the newer shows, they all just say like shit and fuck. Yeah, yeah. What? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. It it was, I mean, it was a shock for a lot of people. I was like, I kind of get it. And I'm not necessarily against it, but it does put a color on the show that makes it feel decidedly less Star Trek, I guess, was my bigger complaint. It, It made it a little less unique and a little more every other sci-fi so i like the idea if there's one person saying fuck but if there's like yeah that would have 25 people saying fuck that's a little bit like wow this is just a surly crew yeah like i don't think i mean outside of the episodes where spock is affected to be more human and he's in like every show basically um other than that i don't think like vulcan's curse or anything but it's pretty much everyone yeah it's wild okay yeah i gotta watch that then that's that's something hmm. I, I i don't know i have opinions i i don't have a very uh favorable Ooh. opinion of a chunk of it yeah so. okay so it sounds like you should do a podcast on star trek discovery and your feelings on it because that sounds fun i mean i don't know i it basically comes down to i think uh strange new worlds is worth watching i think lower decks is fun Picard and Discovery, you can, you know, you don't gotta watch those. Ooh, you were the first person I've said to not watch Picard. Really, everyone I know basically unilaterally agrees that uh, seasons one and two are thumbs down, and season three is pretty thumbs up. And I'm more tepid on season three, I guess. But there's mm-hmm. there is things that nerd me got bothered by that did not bother every other mega nerd on the internet so i don't know we talking like nerd stuff like uh knowing what a parsec is or like no. we talk about no okay okay there's one thing i could say and i don't think it's really a spoiler okay um at one point the crew of the next generation gets on to the enterprise d again because of course they did Mm-hmm. And I, I won't go into the circumstances and whatnot. But what I will say is that it is only the bridge crew. And they pilot the thing. And that bothers me because a galaxy class ship is supposed to have a crew complement of like several hundred. Yeah. So how are, you know, so like there's literally people... no one else? Yeah. What? <laughs> that that yeah. would bother me too. So I get it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't think that's spoiling anything, but like, yeah, that that was something that really irked me, and I couldn't find anyone else that like thought anything of it. So, 
you. Huh. Okay, yeah, that bugged me. Um, so moving on, to the next question. So, so you, I saw that you mentioned that um, you basically swore off Radiant Black a while mm-hmm. ago, and it, Radiant Black is actually a, a series that I actually am very into. I've only read the first two volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer to read it collected. It's oh. something I really enjoy. What is the reason that you swore it off? So, I mean, half of it is just, um, it's a book that I think is trying to do a lot of the right things. I don't think it's necessarily succeeding. So, hold on, I'm going to back up because, I mean, I know you know and I know, but if someone's listening, they may not know. So, Radiant Black is a relatively new comic series that's now a few years in, but in comic terms, you know, most stories are told over six issues. You get one issue a month. You're only telling two stories a year. So a few years in still feels relatively new, but at the same time, you know, it's established. Um, It was a big hit. It was the biggest thing image had that year that was new and certainly uh, really big for image during a lull when they didn't have saga running, which is the biggest comic they've had since the walking dead, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Raiden Black came in, it was a big deal, and the idea is, you know, this kid stumbles on a doodad, I guess, um, and it, it basically becomes like a super-duper Power Ranger. Basically, yeah, it's like it's like Novacore, almost. Like, it's yeah. this... It, it's so... It's got, like... Nova stuff, like from original Nova, it's got like slight Dark Hawk stuff. It's it's that teenage kid becomes a superhero thing, but it's very Tokusatsu uh, flavored. But also, like the first chunk of stories is a lot of figuring out what the powers are, and they're figuring that as they go. So there's almost a Deus Ex mocking into the fights where the suit lets the guy live versus a character or two that have a similar suit but are infinitely more competent with it but unlike most superhero comics really radiant black focuses a lot more on the characters underneath the suit so it's a lot of build up to a certain amount of payoff all i think that's true through totsunaka it's very true for like a uh, godzilla film right like you sit through yeah. eight, 80 minutes of build up to get 10 minutes of some guy in a rubber suit trashing a miniature town. Uh, it it kind of has that kind of build up and feel. So it's a lot more about the characters and their side story. And so it's it's ultimately a lot of flavor added to what's really a slice of life comic. But also beyond Radiant Black, there's Radiant Pink, Radiant Red, probably a Radiant Blue. Uh, yeah, Rogue Sun. So. There's, there's so many books. <laughs> There are. Well, yeah, and that was part of it, too, is Rogue Sun is one, and then um, there is a crossover book, um, Mega something, and a couple others. And that was part of it, is I was trying to get all of them. Then I found out Rogue Sun was part of it, and so I missed part of it. And to go back and get the original issues were going to cost an amount. And then I was reading it every month, and I didn't really like Radiant Pink. I thought Radiant Red was overall stronger than Radiant Black the months it ran. Um, And then trying to keep track of all these people's lives, and you're getting an issue here, an issue there, and it becomes like an issue every week. And 
I just wasn't tracking it because I, I found myself not that involved in it. And it was too kind of like disparate and too much at once. And I was just like, you know what? I, I need to make some cuts. And if I cut this thing, I'm cutting like six books all of a sudden that I'm not really loving. And it was just pretty easy. I, I think there's something smart there. And I do believe, you know, if you come to it in trades and you read that in chunks, it's going to A, be easier to track and be easier to go through. And I really don't think it's a comic that, like pretty much every image comic, it does not do well in issues. It, it would infinitely do better in trade. It's going to sell better in trade. It's going to make its bones in trade and digital. And then I, I'm sure this thing's going to get optioned for something in the next year or two almost. So I don't know. I, I just thought it was interesting. I think it's a good idea. And what was also weird at first, right? It's radiant black, but it's some, you know, suburban white kids. Yeah. Forecast. I was like, oh, that's weird in, you know, the 2020s. This was a little earlier than that when it started, but still. Um, and all the other radiants and et cetera are better about taking other perspectives of life. And so I, I think there's this potential to have some cataclysm with these characters, but it really wasn't acting on it for months and months. And so I just kind of lost steam and dropped. That's really all it was wasn't some big I, thing. I think it's a good book. I think it has potential, but it's just, it's pricey. <laughs> no, I get you on that. That's I mean, what you talk about. I think is uh, the being less interested than in having to cut books is what everyone who is in this hobby uh, eventually gets to. Um, I mean, I'll be real. I actually just cut amazing the other day and <laughs> I'm pretty happy for her. Um, so yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I get that. Um, let me tell you, though, if you do decide to pick up the trades, it's it's pretty fun. Like I said, I only read the first two trades, so I'm going to uh, eventually go back and actually catch up on everything. I haven't even actually read more than one issue of Rogue Sun yet, uh, but it's good. And also, I don't know, have you have you read Void Rivals or Transformers yet? I've heard of Void Rivals. There's a million Transformers books, so I don't know which one you're talking about. Uh, the Skybound one that just came out. Oh, Skybound's doing Transformers? Yes, sir, and Void Rivals. They're uh, connected. I thought... I thought Transformers was at um, a different publisher. <laughs> it was originally IDW. Well, not originally. It was originally Marvel. Yeah. Uh, but it was IDW um, up until this year and uh this year it swapped over to being skybound and let me tell you uh it's good really oh. good first issue and um void rivals is honestly some of kirkman's best work in some time like it's really really good i mean that is good to hear but kirkman's best work in a while is um i'm just gonna say i don't think he's done anything particularly strong since invincible ended so yeah. <laughs> You weren't fond of the the end of The Walking Dead? I thought the end of The Walking Dead was oh. a very well done ending. I haven't read it. <laughs> you haven't read it? Oh man! Oh man! Oh, please! When you get a chance to finish that up, please do yeah. do a podcast or write up something about that because I I I have a specific way of thinking. Um, life kind of in stories like 
realistically in real life. And I think The Walking Dead copies that somehow to a T. Like, it is a very livable ending. Huh. So, yeah, I don't know. Kirkman overall, I just had a burnout on because, A, I mean, I think his end of Invincible is interesting, but is also weirdly conservative. And then I just had a burnout on Walking Dead overall, mostly because of the show, like everyone else in America. And I just stopped reading my trades with it. And I don't know, I just, that comic was mostly conservative overall, too. And so I just didn't want to deal with that because my burnout happened pretty much around the time Trump was coming up. So I uh, put it down hard, I guess I'd say, and haven't really had the <laughs> will to pick it back up. I never thought about that before being conservative, but I can see what from what you were talking about. Do you think that more plays into the idea that basically all white people become conservative the older they get? There is a huge aspect of that. And I mean, yeah. And I mean, I couldn't help but think about it because I mean, literally at the end of Invincible, it's like global planetary stuff in the writing. Policy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not like subtext. It's, right there and walking that they're not writing policy but it's people dictating the rules of the land through force and whatnot and how that all plays out and how that goes is very much one way i don't know and maybe there's some stuff that comes around i don't know like i said i didn't read it so i'm not gonna put a hard stamp on it but it wasn't where i wanted to be <laughs> so that's understandable no i get that also, also, I don't like zombie stuff that much. I don't like vampire stuff that much. So, I don't know. Wow, so you're not really, you're not going to be into that whole, like, vampire war that's coming that Miles is going to be part of, huh? No, that, so I've been trying to do less Marvel events overall, and they keep getting me. So I was like, I'm never going to do a Marvel event again. And then they did Dark Web, and I was like, well... <laughs> that's two more comics for me to buy really because it's spider-man and x-men and i'm like whatever um and then i mean well i also said that like they got the last one i really de dove in on was that big venom event uh the whole null what? thing oh yeah and I liked it overall but i also was like i like the main stuff and i know which books to grab the side stuff was pretty uh pretty bad overall yeah it was it really was um i that was the first event i'd gotten into in a minute and i was thoroughly disappointed yeah i did genuinely think marvel doing a straight horror thing would be more interesting and there were a couple like ec affected modern day comics that were compelling but it was like two out of 40 yeah, I can just see that. Um, last time I really liked something that Marvel did that had a horror tinge to it was probably, I think, Marvel Zombies 4. Uh, it was either Marvel Zombies 4 or Marvel Zombies 5. One of the ones where uh, it was like, I think, Elsa Bloodstone and maybe Howard the Duck traveling through the nexus of all realities with uh, the evil Darkhawk. There you I go. I forget his name. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, yeah. I don't know. And then Marvel got me again with this um, gang war thing, because that is 
like that is what i've been hoping for forever i'm like yes do this do this with spider-man do this with daredevil do this oh we get a luke cage comic finally after they canceled the last one which of all the comics for them to cancel they make luke cage mayor and they're like oh we're not going to tell that story like what's that's I've been pretty right. checked out on Marvel, so that sounds amazing to me. And now I want to just track down what's uh, what's up with Luke Cage. That sounds cool. I wasn't well, you, really um, yeah, you can't because they didn't publish it. <laughs> Wait, so. what? They didn't even. It wasn't even a like released. No, so it was supposed to be a mini that happened as part of Devil's Reign, which was part of Zadarsky's Devil yeah. Devil Man, the Daredevil run. Um, Devil Man, <laughs> a little different thing there. Uh, and in in that mini, you know, Luke Cage is going to step up to be mayor because someone had to as Fisk was displaced. And yeah. it was a way to do more good than just knocking heads. And I was like, that sounds like that's the sort of thing I'm really into. I mean, political intrigue, superhero level stuff that is like society affecting like that is why I care about Marvel. That is why I care about these characters. That's why I care about comics. And Marvel has been steering so hard away from that with pretty much every character in every way. So when they steer to it, I'm on board. And I mean, even with Zeb Wells Amazing, like the stuff that's more street level, which has all been the Tombstone stuff, really, I really enjoy. It's just everything else that isn't that is mind-bogglingly like i know there's levels of taste but there's also like ways you tell a story and things you do and don't do and they've just i i i don't know how that stuff gets past an editorial office i don't know who's a professional writer putting some of that down it is bad i agree i actually um I made sure in the last like uh, week or so, basically to really catch up on amazing um, outside of this last arc with uh Craven and uh, goblin queen. I honestly don't think I liked almost anything uh, from the last year. And that's just really sad to say, I guess. Yeah. Well, and for people who don't know, like the last chunk of Spider-Man has been the, more or less son of Craven the Hunter, one of them anyways, has decided to earn the mantle by finding a way to defeat Spider-Man, or not really defeat Spider-Man, but he wants to take out Norman Osborn, but Norman Osborn at his full might. And so he needs to reinstigate the Green Goblin, so he takes the sins of the Green Goblin that from a past arc are I don't know. Goblin Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Floating around, whatever. Um, Put them into a spear. But then instead of letting those sins get back into Norman Osborn, Spider Man jumps in the way and then he's affected by it. So it's like evil Spider Man's roaming around and in the black suit again, because that's cool. I guess. It's like back in Black What If, because he's just full-on insane and what i i really liked about it is that he's got the two voices in his head kind of like he's got a goblin to personality to him it's it's very fun um it's just i don't know 
I like when people do things differently. And I think that was a good thing to do differently. And then also having at the same time, Craven constantly battling this kind of compulsion to just kill himself. It was just very powerful. I liked it. Fair enough. I mean, if you like that, I don't know. I thought it was interesting how they were going about it. But once you start talking about like the sins of another person being placed on someone, I'm like, <laughs> yes. I don't know what that means really. And they don't really define it. And I think there's a lot of mysticism in magic stories, but I feel like you have to explain the rules for it to have resonance. And the example I reach to often is Doctor Who. The good Doctor Who stories explain the rules just enough to make it feel clever when, you know, the Doctor does a whirly woo and reverses and wins the day. But if you don't set up the rules, you can't have that reveal. The bad Doctor Who stories, i.e. most of Moffat's run, are like, oh, I yeah. am the Doctor, therefore this happens, and those are the rules. And that's not interesting or compelling writing. So we should have had someone show up and say that Sin Eater did not eat all the sins. Right. Well, and yeah. the sins were still around. And then the sins got back into somebody. Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, the whole Spencer run thing was not my bag either um deep deep spider-man lore for those not following amazing which is more and more people every day is my understanding because yeah. it's yeah it's hard to be a fan right now let me tell you i mentioned i know already that i just stopped uh so i've been subscribing to amazing and uh, most of my comic books through actually a uh, Marvel subscription service, uh, their direct subscription service, which is handled by Midtown mm -hmm. uh, for, geez, probably like 15 years now. And the quality just got worse and worse. And I just kept doing it because uh, it's the best way to make sure I get an issue because I haven't always lived close to comic book shops. Mm -hmm. um, but I finally decided to pull the plug because I'm like, I just haven't enjoyed anything in so long. And then New York City Comic Con happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they said that Ben Riley was, they're not done with him yet. He is going to come back. And, well, he wouldn't, you know, I cannot, cannot resist them waving him in front of me and saying, hey, what do you think it means? What do you think you can do with this guy? Somebody, a Spider-Man that has no Aunt May or Uncle Ben, which means that they're finally going to play more on the fact that they took away all his memories. This guy's got nothing. He's just some superpower schlub that's sad. Uh, yeah, I... Again, with the bad writing. Um, taking away a character's memories. So, how about a bit of... We should back up. So, there yeah. was this event called Dark Web. I mentioned it earlier. It happened relatively recent. In comic terms, anyways. And in it, it was a Spider-Man X-Men crossover in that there's a x-man villain known as madeline Pryor, which x-men fans think is this put upon poor lady who is a clone of gene gray yep. who eventually gained mystic abilities she had birthed a cable it's a whole thing yeah and there's some incest in there we don't have to get to it um yeah nate gray yeah, yeah thanks, it doesn't count if they're from another Marvel. universe i it does i i don't care it does <laughs> um and then 
and then so then you have Ben Riley, which if you don't know was the clone of Spider-Man. Ah, there's your connection. And yep. he had recently been put through the ringer in a where he had so in the 90s he they tried to make him the Spider-Man for a while. It didn't take because nobody wanted that apparently, except now 90 kids kind of did and whatever, but it didn't take back in the day. He was just blonde Peter Parker, basically, but not Peter Parker at all. Um, and then they had this event where he came back and took over being Spider-Man for a while because Peter Parker was knocked unconscious in the hospital for a bit, which was actually really interesting. But they left it where, through comic book nonsense, most of his memories were taken from him, so he felt like upset he became like less and less spider-man basically as it went on yeah because he couldn't i mean he couldn't remember the the way they put it at the time was with great power i don't remember and it's like okay um (laughs) look i don't know man someone can hand you voltaire like that's not a personal memory i don't know um and Technically, you know, uh, Uncle Ben didn't even say it the first time in the comic, so who cares? Who knows? Um, anyway, so Dark Web comes, and it's Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley fighting to get what's theirs, basically. Which is um, just memories. They're really, they both just want their memories back. Yeah. But they kind of do it in a wrong way. So Jean Grey freely offers her memories to Madeline Pryor, who's now the Lord of Limbo because of something that happened with magic. Sorry, I can't go down the rabbit hole. Anyways, um, they're in Limbo. You should know Limbo is a place where demons exist and bad things happen and has this cartoony, like monstrous cartoony thing uh, going on where like school buses will have teeth at the front and eat children fire hoses will just like grimace and spray at people uh, trash cans will bite you uh, yeah it's all the new tunes yeah it, which when it was originally brought forward in the original inferno event that madeline Pryor was the goblin queen now the villain that we're seeing with this um this was all background gag stuff but now they're taking tire panels to just put it front and center and it was not great storytelling um so in that ben riley is upset he doesn't get his memories and at the end gene gray offers her memories but peter's like no they're mine and i didn't like even at the time i was like but you can just share them you don't lose them what's the like what (laughs) So at this point, like, I have to kind of agree with the angry chasm is the villain name for Ben Riley now. Um, I was like, yeah, why? 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 Because <laughs> the chasm sense. is empty. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's such a 90s, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, like Godsmack tier of just edginess like in the costume is great the the purple the green the black it's so bad but uh there's a lot of stuff that chasm did which was actually fun i just didn't really like it uh i don't like them doing such 
bad to my dude. I uh, also really didn't like Peter not sharing his memories because, like, you make a good point. Like, he wasn't going to lose them. He just needed to share them. And they already did share them up to a yeah. point. Yeah, that's the other part that didn't really make sense. We don't really know where the memories stop and start again. And and I guess the bigger problem is, is like, I get you want your memories, like, instinctually. Like, that's something that makes sense. But beyond that, there's nothing in the story about it. There's nothing to really affect it or tell it. And what kills me is, like, this is a device that, if you skew it a bit, has been used in all kinds of sci-fi movies, mystical stories. Um, Like, this is a pretty well-worn trope. And they just did nothing with it. Not even copying something done well. Just, they didn't do it. And it's hard to care about the story when there's no story or character being brought forward. Yeah. It's the part that really messed me up about it was just, I really seriously thought that this was going to lead up to Peter finally doing something for Ben. That's close to on the same level of what Ben did for Peter originally, which was sacrifice his life for him. Mm -hmm. And instead they stuck him in limbo jail. With no memories. Right. And so now the character is just literally hanging out in another realm being grumpy. Cool. What a fun villain. Literally a guy just being emo in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, that's where the character is now. You're saying they announced something for him. What I heard come out of um, New York Comic Con was... There are people affecting, asking about the marriage, basically. Again, if you don't know, Peter and MJ, I mean, I'm sure you do know our couple. <laughs> and, like, if you do know. Yeah, but I mean, like, everyone knows uh, Peter Parker, Mary Jane, right? I mean, that's all the movies, that's all the cartoons, like, in the game. Like, everybody knows that much. Um, you, they, Most people, I'm sure, have heard about, like, the infamous storyline in which they dissolve the marriage, but... In the story, they were just talking about where Spider-Man gets knocked out, is in the hospital, and then ends up with Ben Riley losing his memories. Um, Peter and MJ get back together again. They don't get hitched, but like they're a couple. And then the next issue is the start of this Wells, this current Spider-Man run. And the big thing is they're not together. And what happened... Uh, MJ, after two years of three years of waiting, uh, we find out MJ was whisked away to some alternate dimension, meets up with some guy named Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, they Spider Man gets kicked out and then rushes and pisses off a bunch of people to save MJ as fast as possible. So fast that he makes a lot of, I'm gonna be honest, just stupid decisions that are made for drama's sake and don't make any logical sense he needs to get back to an alternate dimension and the first thing that happens is he's he rushes to the baxter building to get some marvel doodads i don't know and mr fantastic says let me help and spider-man's like no i have to work faster i'm like i if you want to get to an alternate dimension and you're in the marvel universe the fastest way to get there is to get mr fantastic's help what the what what it doesn't make sense um 
so I don't know. He gets so the Fantastic Four mad at him, the Avengers are mad at him, yada yada yada, and uh, he rushes, and it takes him like you know a handful of hours to figure it out. But in that time, Mary Jane's lived like uh, six years with Paul. They have kids. They come back, and some guy's angry at them and chases them back to regular reality. And then to defeat him, Kamala Khan sacrifices herself, who came out of nowhere, uh, just to die and come back a month later. And MJ's now mad because it turns out her kids never existed, and that's where we're at right now. And if you think I'm glazing over, really, there actually isn't much more to say. Like, that's basically the story. There's not a lot of meat on those bones. Only thing he missed is that Mary Jane now has superpowers that she got from this weird god dimension yeah. she was living in. And it's all based around um, symbols that are basically uh, casino slots. Yeah, because... Jackpot, yeah, jackpot. Because yeah, jackpot, which is weird, because now isn't she technically the third character to be jackpot that's supposed to look like Mary Jane, but this time it actually is just Mary Jane? That's right. It's so good that they finally decided to actually do it. I, oh my god, it's just so. This is what I mean. Like it is just so bad and hacky, and like by any measure of how you distill what is a good story from a bad story, and the kind of like benchmarks that people use to say like, well, they did this sort of thing, but they did it kind of well or whatnot. No, it's doing all the bad benchmarks and it's not doing pretty much any of them well. It's fascinating how how bad it is at this point. This I I may I'm probably going to be wrong on this take, but I actually um upon reading the whole Spider-Man trying to get Mary Jane back really quickly thing, mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if originally they had um propositioned the story arc as spider-man enemy of the state because it hits a lot Mm. of the same beats and then also has the same artist as wolverine enemy of the state yeah and it's really interesting the parallels because he even fights the fantastic four and then captain america in the same then he could kill a slinger and it would be oh man that'd be so i'd love if he like just murder ricochet like that would just be really hilarious and yeah, then nobody that's cares. Totally Sp- <laughs> hey, um, it's the Spider-Man as much as anything is right now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I just, what, what kills me, though, is you are right in setup. But what made Enemy of the State really interesting is that they wrote it basically like a Hulk comic where you'd see the aftermath of Wolverine being there and maybe like a panel or two of like the action of people talking about it. But like, really you're just seeing the aftermath until you catch up with him. Then it kind of gets put together. But that's kind of what we did at the beginning of this series, right? Cause we saw all yeah. the destruction. Everyone hated Peter Parker. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Except it, it didn't work like that. Uh, that, that would make sense, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. I see it now. Yeah, if that's like what they're it's going bad. for. What a <laughs> yeah. mess. Um, wow. No. Okay. So I think that's that there, because I don't want to just bemoan the current state of Amazing till I die. Yeah. No, yeah, understandable, because then we'd go on forever. But um, yeah, yeah so Ben Riley. Um, yeah. 
other than he's going to be showing back up and amazing at some point, um, he's also going to be playing some kind of part in this new Hickman Ultimate Spider-Man run. Huh. Yeah. But so is if, it, if you don't know. Is yeah? it Ultimate Ben Riley or is it this Ben Riley brought it's, over? It's an Ultimate Ben Riley. And if you oh did you did you read Ultimate Invasion? Um I skimmed it. I hey, thought it that's, was that's all you needed. The worst Hickman comic in a while. Cause it's clear like he wanted to do some stuff, but they're like, hold it, hold it. We gotta sell like eight more comics before you get there. <laughs> You're not wrong, because, like, that is, I mean, I'm not a fan of the phrase nothing burger, but that is a nothing burger if there was one. Yeah. So, for anyone out there that doesn't know, Ultimate Invasion, uh, the Ultimate Universe ended back in the year, let's say 2012, uh, with the, or wait, was it 2014? I was with Secret Wars. Um, So, Secret Wars happened, the Ultimate Universe destroyed. Uh, massive cataclysm. It got destroyed in the most baller way, though. It was Galactus with Galactus. Uh, the two Galactuses, the 616 Galactus, merged with Galactus, the ultimate version of Galactus, and ate their world. It was a whole thing. It was insane. I love it. Please go back and read that story if you get a chance. It but I couldn't. It's great. It's really. It it's is. An, it is an Ooh. event comic. An event happens in it, and when that event is done, there's a little bit of cleanup. But then the the comic is done, and like, oh yeah, that that works. That's an event comic. There you go, guys. Exactly. And then they had Ultimate End, which totally just was not as good. Um, but after all that happens, um, they just shuffle off that universe. It's just gone. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, the only thing that lived from that universe was um, Jimmy Howlett and Miles Morales and his family. And uh, the thinker. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always forget about him. Yeah, so scarred up, mentally unhinged Reed Richards from the yeah. Ultimate Universe. Yeah, they're living out there. Um, and then basically the thinker ultimate Reed Richards has just been playing around, uh, bothering people throughout time. Uh, and the six one six trying to get back to his universe, which he instead, um, in ultimate evasion decides that he's going to create his own universe, uh, which he ends up changing a lot of events. I won't go into cause it's still a pretty recent comic, but the main one he changes is he stops Peter Parker from getting bitten by the spider, which, like that happens but that's so weird to me because like why is that such a big deal really like even in the ultimate universe like i understand ultimate spider-man was the biggest comic yada yada spider-man is always the biggest comic or spider whatever um but like in the greater scheme of the tale of the ultimate universe like outside of new york city he doesn't really affect much I think it's because he doesn't get old enough to affect much. Like, dude dies whenever he's, like, 16. Yeah, but, like, at the same time, like, Captain America does some big things in the Ultimate Universe, and so does the Hulk, and they're only in, like, four issues, so... Well, I mean... mm, So, I will say, um... Captain America doesn't exist in that reality. Oh, Uh, and the the new, new one? Yeah, yeah, the new one, new one. Uh, and then Hulk was made into a monk. So, like, mm-hmm. he took them off the board. So, Spider Man was like, Oh, you're talking about one. 
yeah the new ultimate universe not the ultimate universe of my youth and everyone's yeah the actual good one yeah well i mean to be fair this other one hasn't really technically happened yet so (laughs) the prologue didn't didn't uh, rock the world though do you know okay so i don't know how interested you are in things of the moon knight nature but (laughs) he's uh, in yeah he's in there did do you know do you know what what what's happening with 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 moon knight going see i don't look at previews for comics because i spend enough time catching up (laughs) black panther is moon knight okay ultimate black panther is moon knight man that's so cool that doesn't like okay at that point like what's that even mean though it's just that whatever that fake amalgam stuff that they were doing like two or three years ago with arachnite it's the same thing but oh i love it all right i mean if it works out that's cool i just i've tried to get into black panther post christopher priest and it never really quite clicked for me and i've tried to get into moon knight and it is not done it for me so i forget which the what year the priest run was but um i've, I've read that i've also really liked uh reggie hudlin's run um, yeah a lot of people like hudlin's i I got parts of it, but only the parts that really intersected with Fantastic Four at the time when he was. Oh, Fantastic when he was a member of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, from my understanding, probably the weakest part of it. So it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you ever go back and decide to read some of that stuff, it's it's really good. It's, it's a good, strong start. Um, you can understand why reading that they ended up using that as a kind of roadmap for a lot of the movie stuff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was able to pick out the priest parts from the movie, and yeah, yeah, that stuff's good. I mean, like legit, that stuff is really good. Um, anyways, so this Ultimate Universe stuff, um, somehow, um, they're I guess from what Hickman is going to do, they're landing on the fact that some things, like a lot of what if stories, make make it a point of saying is some things are unstoppable, like destiny. So even though he got stopped from being bitten by the spider at the time the maker stopped him, uh, Peter still becomes Spider-Man. Okay. Yep. And we're going to be dealing with him being an adult as an adult Spider-Man that's new at it. So he's going to be like in his twenties Spider-Man for the first time. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a twist, I guess. I saw the cover for it, and I was kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. it's just a Spider-Man cover. Like, I thought they'd give him a different suit or something this time to, like, play it up, and no. Hey, they got four variants, though. So you can choose the variant you want for the Spider-Man you want. You want Ben Riley? You're there. You want Miguel O'Hara? You're there. You want black suit? You're there. You want regular old red and blue? You got it. Uh yeah woo that see i don't know to me that feels like a miss on marketing because it's like this is the new spider-man tale this is the new way we're doing it and it's just the same old same old and the idea of spider-man starting when he's 20 just doesn't feel i don't know like what's really going to be different i guess like that doesn't I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying that idea in and of itself, I don't think springboards to a story that I mean, he's like, Oh, that will be interesting. Like, it's just kind of like, okay, he starts later. So he doesn't have to deal with high school. Like, okay. 
I like the fan speculation that it's not going to be Uncle Ben that dies. It's going to be like his wife. Um, also, I really wish they did not reveal it was Peter Parker already because I would love it if get to the end of the first issue, he takes off his mask and it smiles. Yeah, that'd be something. Or literally just anyone else. Anyone else? Do you have a? Do you have a? I mean, Flash Thompson. Like, do you have anyone that you would prefer oh, to God, see a Spider-Man no, in an alternate universe? No, I mean, like, what if like Spider-Man is inevitable, but it's not Peter Parker. It's I don't know. Uh, Sam the Man, Boogie. I don't know. Just like some new character, right? Like a completely different Spider-Man. And to me, that would almost make it more interesting because a we're getting a new character, Spider-Man, but it is Spider-Man there. Not that and I say that in a way like that makes sense to me, and I think that's interesting in a way that the million different spider characters in Spider-Verse are not. Um, oh, the Spider-Sonas. Yeah, because there's been some events with the Spider-Verse stuff, like the movies, and they have these comics that they put out, and there's like little five-page stories, and they'll introduce like a spider character who's handicapped, a Spider-Man character who's a Disney princess, basically. A Spider-Man character who's... Spiders. Who's spiders. One who's Mexican, one who's this, one who's that. And then there's a lot of talk of, like, representation. And, oh my gosh. I'm just kind of like... If it that gets people excited and does something for them, that is good. But that is shallow at best yeah i i actually agree because the one that happened for i believe it was spider geddon made me really disappointed yeah. because the uh mexican one like you mentioned uh the one that was a uh, luchador that dude got yeah. like maybe two panels in the actual book yeah and people get so happy that this thing is there and i'm kind of like hey okay like it was like a deviant art fan pop-up or something <laughs> like it just doesn't resonate and the only one that really hit me in two pages was um they did the hostess pie spider-man from the ads way back on the 80s and he just gets eaten in a way and there was a certain roundness to it because the page was presented like one of those ads but instead of spider-man taking a bite at the pie at the end it's the uh inheritor morloon you know taking a bite out of spider-man at the end and that was just there's some good dark humor. Uh, is that how you pronounce Moreland? I always, I always thought it was Moreland. Is it really? You're probably Moreland? right. If I'm pronouncing something, you think it's wrong. You're 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 probably no right. no. That sounds legit. Like I would believe that Moreland. Like that sounds that he seems so kooky but creepy. So I would believe that. Also, I the, the I know what you're talking about. That Hostess Pie one. It I like how it heavily paralleled in. I think it was actually the first Spider Verse. Whenever he went to the universe with the um, that was in the Sunday newspaper, Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. And he couldn't do anything because he just kept getting interrupted by the 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 like strip ending. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that was a good gag, and that was something. The first, the first one of those crossovers that happened, like there was, there were. That's where all those gags we're talking about happened. But then the second and third one was a lot more of this fake representational, not fake, but light representational stuff. And that those moments of inventiveness or creativeness playing off of the legacy of Spider-Man across all these different mediums 
really had slim pickings at that point because they already did it. And uh, I don't know. I I was really on board for the first one in a way uh, a lot of Spider fans weren't at the time, I guess. They just thought, felt like it was a lot of like, self-referential whatever nonsense stuff. And I was like, yeah, but after decades of all this crazy Spider-Man stuff, like there's some cool stuff to pull from and do. And it was a really fun, inventive and cool use of the medium. Like I thought it was great, but then yeah. Diminishing returns, which that was something you mentioned earlier. Um, Dan slot having the greatest run ever. I want to run. Uh, I mean, I talked about it on here before, but I want to run that idea past you. Um, Cause I agree his, original decade long basically run i think has a lot of really strong points and is a really good chunk of spider-man comics by and large there's a few stories i don't like but overall really good but since he's come back have you enjoyed it as much or what, what do you think of the newer stuff i like it more than amazing but I well, do not think it's as strong as his old, his, his run, his original run. I, I legitimately think, like, if we're talking about 616 Spider-Man, Slot has the most consistently good stories. Like, I could just pick them up anytime and just read through, like, the whole thing. Like, it's just, it's crazy how consistently good and how much that hits, like, the stuff I like. Yeah. Well, I do think he gets... Like, from people who are his defenders, I do think he gets sometimes some, a fair amount of momentum coming out of the uh, TV-ridden era. I don't know quite how to put it, where, like, the got Yeah, 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 more or, recent um, stuff. Yeah. Well, but the brand new, or, uh, yeah, brand new day, that whole run with, you know, like, Mark Wade, Joe Kelly, and all that, like, he was in that Mayu, and then he got to just springboard out of it, and that's some good momentum that a lot of people don't get coming in. That's a good point. He got to work with a lot of characters that were fresh and he had a lot of room to play um, for a long time, even. And a lot of people do not get that whatever 10 years to just build up their own stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that's very true too. And um, but yeah, I agree. I think that run was good, but I think since he's come back, I wish he hadn't. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I like Spider-Man, uh, adjectiveless. All right. Um, I'm not up to Spider-Boy yet. Every time I see Spider-Boy, I'm a little more confused about what he's doing. But um, it can't be that bad, right? It's he's doing some interesting stuff with Spider-Boy, and is more compelling than Alpha, which is the other <laughs> the sidekick character he did back when that. I've heard him in interviews, he said it was this interesting story they wanted to extend out, but by doing so, they created a to-be-continue point at where it was longer at the time, where there was a two-week break, and a lot of people had to ruminate on how much they hated the character, which is what he was trying to build up, and then switch it. Kind of like, you kind of hate Peter Parker in the first chunk of Amazing Fantasy 15, then it comes around. And like, I see what he's saying, but the other thing too is, Amazing Fantasy 15 is what, 12 pages? Or, it's short. Yeah, it is short. Especially, I mean, it's by today's standard, it's incredibly short. And I do wish people who wrote comics would maybe take a lesson that uh, they could tighten it up a little. 
Um, yeah, the decompression thing that Bendis did is a disease. I mean, like that should not be the rule. It should be the exception. Like they should do that so rarely. <laughs> I mean, Bendis is someone who did it. He didn't invent it by any means or anything. He just happened to be the big guy at Marvel when it started getting more popular. But I mean, like the ultimate Spider-Man, like there was an editor on that that was, you know, it was still Nick Lowe, wasn't it? <laughs> no. Wait, well, he was assistant editor. Was he assistant editor like when it started? I know he was early in the ultimate run, but I don't know. I don't know his full career. Um it's just something I notice every now and then whenever I read Ultimates, like Ultimate Comics, just being like, Wow, Nick Lowe, you you sure found a place to stay, huh? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, although once you're on Spider Man, why would you leave? Yeah, no, no, fair point, yeah. Like, I mean, Bendis was there, but I mean, the same story structure is being used that same month with, um, you know, X-Men and Ultimate Fantastic Four, and at that point, I mean, six-issue arcs weren't anything that revolutionary, but being that regular about it, I guess, was kind of a fresh thing but also part of what ultimate built up to that i think was a happy accident for them because they didn't know trades were going to be such a big deal that we're going to make them you know money because i mean when the ultimate universe started it was lukewarm it was not super well received so man i can't even imagine that so like I'll say I read Ultimate X-Men before I read Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men is actually one of my most favorite book series of all time. Like it's just, do you like, like the X-Men first six issues of it though that much? I, absolutely. Too? Yeah. Okay. See, I think the first, the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man is, eh, I, I don't think it's, I think it's way too long in the tooth, especially for a story that we basically all know coming in and really takes its time to get anywhere and doesn't do much new or exciting and i think it's the least fresh ultimate story there is in the lot of the run for the most part i i really think it's like it's a weak start and then it gets going pretty fast after that like the the leap of quality in my eyes once you hit volume two is astronomical no i i agree totally there they're just it's really good um I think out of the Ultimate series, it's easy to say that Ultimate Fantastic Four is the weakest. But after you get out of like, oh, uh, I think I, Volume Two of Ultimate Fantastic Four, it like picks up in quality a lot. Also, I think Ultimate Fantastic Four is really interesting when you start understand. Like they obviously didn't know where it was all going or whatnot, but I mean, but that Reed Richards is evil. Well, I mean, he not at the start, but I mean, what kind of affects him to be, and the fact that they do some stuff with the Fantastic Four in there that they really couldn't do with the fantastic four and a lot of it was more subtle at the front but having read a lot more fantastic four now i think what they did with ultimate fantastic four is really more interesting than um what they did with a lot of ultimate spider-man stuff which was Mm -hmm. just i don't know how to put this if you just kind of changed the art a bit because mark bagley a famous known spider-man comp my artist well from known. the nineties doing amazing for years. Um, doing ultimate was a weird choice to begin with for what they were going for, but it worked great. 
but I mean, he purposely made the ultimate like Rhino look away, the ultimate Beetle look away, and it was supposed to be new and fresh. But if you just made those characters look like what they normally did, and just kind of affected Peter's situation and uh, language to match uh, regular comics, those were Spider-Man comics. Like the only thing that was different was like you're saying, kind of the decompression of it and some of that look, some of that spin of that particular moment. But I mean, that's as different as the 90s Spider-Man cartoon adapting some of those stories to just kind of meet what they were doing with Spider-Man in that moment. But the story of the villain to hero part was pretty much the same. I... I've talked about this a few places online before, but Ultimate Spider-Man is a really, and Ultimate X-Men actually, is a really perfect crystallization of uh, what the early 2000s were like, late 90s, early 2000s were like in superhero stories in a way that I think few things are. And the only other thing I've read that is reminiscent of that is if you go back to any of the Malibu Universe, Ultraverse uh, stuff, Okay. Uh, if you go read like Prime or anything, that stuff feels so perfectly 90s and does such a good job of um, kind of making you feel the same thing about like this is a new book for the 90s. This is written for the 90s. And it's not really cringy. It's just kind of is superhero stuff written then that's not like, oh, there's like 300 issues leading up to this. This is just fresh stuff. Yeah. The other weird thing for me with the Ultimate Universe, with Ultimate X-Men in particular, is there's a lot of story beats in there that are really, really similar to the Ninja Turtles cartoon that ran at about the same time. I was only, I only found out about that like maybe a year ago, but that is fantastically interesting. Yeah, I don't really know what to make or say beyond that, but there's a lot of like weird parallels that just, I don't know. And I don't think Christopher Yost did anything on Ultimate x-men but yeah no i don't think he did either uh, i mean there is such a weird thing as spontaneous creation and we see that kind of all the time but like it's really interesting that that became a point um i, I think a lot about it though because i don't know ultimate x-men is like literally one of my most favorite books of all time like it's such a fun read I, even if not every issue is good or every arc is good it gives you so many interesting ideas for things that they had no guts to really do at the time in the mainline universe. Uh, like, yeah, I have ooh. a lot of thoughts about that. I think there's a oh, yeah. <laughs> underlying because you're talking about the decompression idea, but oh, just kind of everything. But the ultimate X Men is actually much faster than most X Men stuff, and it, it really plays off of some of the stuff Claremont built off for understanding, but all at once, but really starts off with kind of more the understanding post X-Men one, which is really, I mean, I know Claremont wrote those first three issues, but I mean, it's really like just post Claremont like movement. That's more informed by like the nineties cartoon than the older stuff, but they just kind of like throw it onto a mixing pod and they just want to, they want to have a new thing every story and that is not how x-men usually is because i mean really if you look at x-men movement through the comics and whatnot even later except for that brief moment in the 90s where it was all the image artists right before they jumped over um 
It's glacial. Yeah. I'm, I totally agree. Like the, what, what you're kind of talking about for anyone who hasn't read ultimate X-Men is they pick up like momentum moving towards things towards the end of that series so quickly. Like there are events that happen, like they bring up onslaught and like, issue like 100 or something like mm-hmm. it's so quick that they move into that kind of stuff or like um they pull out stuff out of the middle of like thin air like oh professor xavier's in love with jean gray like they have such massive like foundation well, also they make things. it creepy which it should be right yes and, and uh but i also i think it's like it's like the third story or something where you have Cyclops disaffect to the Brotherhood or something, and then they do the whole like bringing him back and that whole storyline, and that's like super early in. Like that's really a lot of the early development for Cyclops is why he's loyal to the team. It's what he learned in that moment. They also do something which I think I, I, I think this is before that. I don't think it was ever an X-Men before this, but um, they have an issue where they explain that um, basically a Cerebro in the Savage Land has mutated and it's become a living cyborg mutant and they have to go kill it. And that's basically before danger ever happened. Like, that's cool as shit. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I didn't know the time, because I mean, I didn't read any um, Ultimate Astonishing. anything until after yeah. I read Astonishing, and I was, I was the picky nerd who was against Astonishing. Well, not against. I just how do I, I always recognized that Joss Whedon Astonishing run is pretty good, but I was kind of annoyed at how people thought it was so special when half of it is borrowed from the Grant Morrison run right before that is infinitely more inventive and interesting. I agree 100% on that. Um, I actually will say I do not like most of Astonishing. Um, I think that Joss Whedon does an okay job. And um, I have always held that as an opinion. I do not like a lot of that stuff as half as much, even a quarter of as much, as much as I love Graham Morrison's run. Like, that's such a good run. Yeah. Well, and now looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, the Grant Morrison run is great. And the Joss Whedon one is pretty good, too. And it is kind of almost unfortunate that they were like kissing each other because there's so much other X-Men kind of just before and just after it that uh, could have used a shot in the arm. Yeah, Claremont coming back again for X-Men stuff. I haven't, yeah, read any, no. I haven't read any of that part of it. I've read a lot of the later Claremont X-Men stuff, but it's all um, X-Men Forever and not the mini, but like the <laughs> ongoing his own spinoff universe thing. Yeah, and uh, that sounds fun. Other... Yeah, and like all that, I thought was fun and interesting and good. And I just, and I read a few issues here and there of his comeback to, and I thought that was all pretty good too. And all the more recent stuff he did, like the Gambit mini and whatnot, I thought was good. So I just never understood why people are so down on his later stuff. Um, I feel like the stuff they're mainly down on is, um, I'm actually not sure what books they're in, but the books with like, uh, Rachel Gray having her on the time of decimation. Um, mm. he, that book was very weirdly stilted. I actually think that it's very similar in a way to, um, Chuck Austin's X-Men run 
where it's just it's a bunch of characters <laughs> acting out of oh I, do you like Chuck Austin's run because I actually kind of do I haven't read it I just I don't think there's anything more universally that you could just say like the bad X Men run and everybody's like yep Chuck Austin gotcha check okay it's it's got stuff that where you can be like you know I I like the ideas presented with this character I just don't necessarily think I like this actual story um, I remember when I was a kid I was raised very uh christian like uh probably a lot of southern south southeastern american uh americans are but um i was x-men was banned in my house because his dad was a devil guy and uh that was a hard thing to get over as a kid knowing that nightcrawler's nightcrawler's dad was was uh man what's his name azazel yeah azazel which is literally, yeah. yeah, a devil character. But I mean, like, wait, it was banned in your house for that? Like, Azazel's a pretty deep cut to even know about, really. Like, he's not in a lot. I know, I know. And it, it was because it so was... did you just Chuck pick Austin's... up the worst issue? or I literally picked up uh, from our library the um, the arc, uh, the TPB of okay. uh, that Nightcrawler thing and i was just like wow this is so cool his dad's an actual demon and my mom like flipped her shit and it was it's hilarious but that was one of those moments that i was like you know what that's a that's interesting that he he has a dad that's a devil and uh his mom is mystique that's really weird because uh i'd already read by this point um in wizard or something else uh chris claremont's original idea that he wanted destiny and mystique to beat the parents of nightcrawler and i actually really liked that idea as a kid just the idea that women get things done i guess like just well they were doing shit well also it's more effective because destiny and mystique are kind of how do i say this it's weird to go back to and this is a sticking point that i have with a lot of people again talking about representation or whatnot but when you reach back to the 70s the 80s etc um people talk about representation now and i mean and they rightfully should want it just flat and they should and they should push for that but there's this long history of stuff where these two were roommates wink wink and there's a lot of stuff around that with destiny mystique where claremont was literally pushing the envelope to see how directly he could show a lesbian relationship and somewhat effectively and meaningly with villain characters which is an interesting wrinkle on it and you could read that a few different ways though i think um with it being claremont i think the intention was right but also you know he was willing to push for representation with villains as well as heroes which made it work better overall for all the other instances of representation across the board um and later um and i it sounds like somewhere around there he wanted to hear but then they needed to not do that and so they landed on the father being a demon which is somehow better which i that's interesting but i think the only real interesting part there isn't the story itself it's the boardroom talk we'll never get to hear you know the editor's notes of why it has to be this way some kooky nonsense um but landing on that is weird. But I, I do think, I agree, it'd be more interesting if it was uh, Mystique and Destiny. And I mean, it doesn't take a lot of uh, Marvel no prize to concoct a solution there with Mystique being a 
shape changer. Uh, no, yeah, I agree. Also, um, whenever he ends up taking over Exiles uh, later, he ends up getting a male mystique oh, and just putting that in, and it's just something. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. God, that's another run I need to get to. Him. Like, oh man, I hope you enjoy that because I read Exiles years ago and like I don't know how to put it. Like I just someone like plopped a pile of trades in front of me and I burned through most of them in a month. Like I remember enjoying it and I remember like nuggets, but a lot of that stuff, like what you're talking about, is just like you know, it didn't stick with me. I didn't read it month to month, I didn't marinate, I just bombed through it. I remember loving it and then I, I recently, semi-recently, you know, acquired it with a whole bunch of other stuff, and now I need to get to it, I guess. I had the entirety of, I guess, Volume 1 of Exiles, and it was mm -hmm. great. It's honestly one of my most favorite, like, straight-through reads, especially when they get to the World Tour stuff where they're chasing Proteus. Like, yeah. it's just a really, really good series. And um, when Chris Claremont comes in and takes over, it is like one of the most like shocking drops in quality to a book ever that I've ever read. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I still enjoyed it, but yeah, it did lose some of the panache. I mean, I love Claremont, but I mean, that is not somewhere where he would excel. But also, I think there's a reason he doesn't excel there. And it's because they're playing off of a lot of his old ideas and he wants to make those new ideas old again. And that doesn't, doesn't jive. I do like whenever someone shows up and they're like, this character is gay. Isn't that novel? Yeah, there is a bit of that. You have to remember when it was said and it was kind of a deal at the time. But yeah, that didn't age well. I don't know about you. I don't even know her name, but there's a trans character in Batman comics right now that carries around a baseball bat. I love that chick. I have no idea who she is. Ba I just know she carries a baseball bat, and I think that's really cool. Is it Harper? Is that Harper? I actually don't know. Um, I was about to say, I don't actually know what Harper's been up to. See, I had a rash of a handful of years where I had a lot of friends who read Batman, so I was reading a lot of Batman. And then after one crisis or another i just i haven't touched a monthly batman comic in years so i just oh, man i have no and when i say batman comic i i'm being pretty strict there like outside of me trying to get into a robin run that i absolutely hated like no robin no nightwing no none of that the closest i'm to it now is i'm reading birds of prey which is technically i guess in that mayu but i mean it's a DC book, and if you read more than two, it's going to touch Batman somehow. That's actually the rule, pretty much. I, I have, have, did you, I mean, I figure you probably, but did you read anything from Dark Crisis? Dark Crisis. The most recent Crisis with Black no. Adam? No, sorry. He, he said Dark Crisis, and I'm like, which Crisis is the, like, DC needs to stop saying Crisis. They just need to find a new word and use that sometimes. Well, they did that already. That was Convergence, and that didn't work either. <laughs> Let's see, I thought Convergence was a better event. No, um, I agree. It was good. Just because the idea was they were mixing up continuities and just playing with that for two months and then they were done, as opposed to the world's going to end again. 
whatever. Who cares? Dark Crisis was funny because you got to see Black Adam give the entire Justice League his Black Adam powers. Uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 everyone's. Everyone was like, okay. Um, so this was clearly part of Black Adam the movie's marketing. Like, this is great. Oh yeah, I saw that movie. It was not bad, right? I thought it was strongly okay. I yeah, fierce mediocre. I don't know. It was it's fine. I watched it. In it's a world a... where I can get behind Venom, I can get behind Black Adam. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't know. I just a lot of the superhero movies anymore just aren't. I don't. You see a lot of that, especially for people who aren't, you know, comic book fans or whatnot now, like pushing back on it. Like, there's too many of these, and it's all this money and all of Hollywood and yada, yada, yada. I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, I don't think you need to be so strong against superhero media, but there is a bit too much of it, and a lot of it is not great. <laughs> we could probably yeah. pull back on a few here and there and have a different movie made. Absolutely. But you don't have to, like, get rid of them you know i i'm wondering if it's going to happen like the western where people just are done at some point and you just don't see one except for the odd one out every few years or so i actually fully expect that to be the case um do you i i don't know are you a fan of thunderbolts i mean i like thunderbolts from Busiek to Fabian Nikeza's run, mm -hmm. which uh, I don't even want to. Try wait, to wait. So you don't like you don't like Ellis's? I read Ellis's. I think that's the death of Thunderbolts right there because it lost the plot. Oh, oh. Well, you know what? I can kind of give it to you. It kind of did last the plot. It, it was really just cool things happening. It was a the Ellis Thunderbolts. Uh, to how do I even want to try to explain? Okay, so once upon a time in the nineties, uh, when new ideas would make money because they were bankrupt, um, <laughs> Kurt Busiek had this idea to run a new superhero team with an entire plate of new characters that were never seen before, and they'd be these new heroes. Um, it was said at a certain point in the Marvel Universe, not so important for what we're talking about here. And what would happen is it would be revealed that they were all old Avengers villains, basically. And so it was this idea of them trying to take advantage of a situation, but ultimately it became a tale of redemption. But unlike most superhero tales of redemption, especially sense, which makes it even funnier, um, that wrinkle at the front they're not intending to redeem themselves but through the act of pretending to be heroes they some of them see the virtue and the positive side of it and some of them don't so it ultimately creates a lot of interest and character conflict that bubbles and ultimately they fight because it's, it's a marvel comic book um and there's a lot of cool stuff there as we move forward uh, they kind of get past that point you know you can only do that story for so long um and we boil to fabian Nicieza's, is how you say his name Nicieza? yeah yeah uh run where um baron zemo not like the one in the movie at all and also not really like the older comic ones at all is 
looking at this cosmic, you know, end of the world thing coming with with some big, you know, cosmic level Marvel things, while the rest of the Marvel universe is embroiled in the Civil War. And he literally creates a ceasefire between the two heroes as a villain at the moment to force them to save the world before they just start like spitting in each other's eye again. It is one of the weirdest moments in Marvel and one of my favorite things taking advantage of all the like weird stuff that feels like it can only happen in a Marvel comic happening kind of all at once. And so well written. It, yeah, it, it's just this incredible like threading the needle of a story that could have really fallen on its face at any point and just pulling it off and it may not be the greatest story of all time and some of the appeal of it as someone who just likes storycraft and seeing this serial storytelling is just seeing the audacity of pulling that off and doing it it's it's fun it's a good run and then immediately after that you get this Warren Ellis run where they throw out 90% of the cast and then it's just Norman Osborn leading a bunch of was villains, and then a couple of the old Thunderbolts team forward, and having them be government agent superheroes. But he's, I don't know if you know this, Norman Osborn's a, a bad guy. And so it's, I, I, I don't really know what else was really trying to go for there because it's not like there's any secret on it or like oh the government agents that are pretending to be the police might be bad actually like, I, well I <laughs> it's kind of like uh, it's got some satire early on uh which it's right after also next wave which is where else was also doing a lot of satire yeah, next um, wave's great <laughs> It is one of my most favorite books ever. Um, yeah. It's actually where I got Captain Joel from, as I'm Captain Four Letter Word. Ah. But, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I really love uh, Ellis's Thunderbolts, though, because they try to use um, Norman Osborn like he's a ticking time bomb that everyone's always seeing, except they let him blow up like every like three issues. So it just ends up being. I wonder what Norman Osborn's going to do now. He he like literally crucifies one of the members of the Thunderbolts at one point. And it's great. It's just insane. Like they're just they're just it's Warren Ellis coming up with crazy things for Mike Diodato to draw. Yeah. And here's what I'd say about that run. Those are good comics, but you could have just called them the u.s agents or come up with any u.s other... avengers yeah yeah it could have been literally yeah. anything else um and it would have been effectively the same comic but after that comic we never got a real thunderbolts comic again it's always been some like seedy government agency using the supers to meet their ends for three to eight issues and then we're done with them again yeah, and, it basically became Suicide Squad. Yeah, and it did ultimately become that, and it stopped being any of the magic that made Thunderbolts unique or special. And that's why I'm kind of down on that Ellis run because it was—it's not that it was so bad itself, but it completely spoiled the title going forward. That's but a good way to look at it. Time, I really like. 
maybe it was going way, to anyways. I, I honestly, I think that's probably the bigger point of it is it was always going to become something like that because no one had the care that Nitsiza did. Um, I think the most interesting thing they thing they did after Warren Ellis' Thunderbolts was probably um, the crossover they had with Deadpool, where they reveal that the Black Widow on the team was the other Black Widow. That Yelena was not Yelena, it was actually Natasha the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not the Black Widow, it's the Black Widow. And with me having no idea who the other Black Widow was, I was like, I don't even understand why that would matter. Like... <laughs> What? It's literally the same thing that they had happen in uh, New Avengers, where they're like looking down into the Savage Land, and they're like, "Is that the Black Widow?" And they're like, "What? That one's not redhead." And they're like, "There's another Black Widow. She's blonde." It's like literally that moment, except in it's Deadpool giving it to you. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, I just. There are some stuff like, like that in Marvel where they do expect you to know, and I don't, because I have some huge Marvel blind spots because I don't really care about the Avengers at all. Um, which used to be a perfectly fine opinion to have in the 90s. Uh, and now is a little harder to get away with. Um, but some of that stuff, they'll just say something that's just like, I don't, I can't understand. Like... I can't understand why anyone would care. It's not this Russian agent with this code name. It's the other Russian agent with the exact same code name. And do they have different motives? Like, how could you tell without establishing that story? Because it's the Blackwater. She's a bazillion whatever agent. You know, she's not even a double agent ever. So it's like, I, you, without knowing the motivation, like, who cares? Who knows? Like, really, what's the difference? I get you on blind spots, honestly. That's another thing I was actually going to mention. I don't know about you, if you know where, but do you know where Ben Riley showed up after he died in Spider Geddon and he got his like card reset where he was a good guy again? Which time? Um, yeah, sorry. That is the problem with Ben Riley, like a number of Marvel characters. He, ben Riley kind of had Jean Grey syndrome, which fits. Yeah. Um, where they're only remembered for like a certain thing. So Ben Riley is really only remembered for being quote unquote, the other Spider-Man. And what's funny is people talk about the clone saga. Like it was this cohesive thing. There was kind <laughs> of like a C plot running throughout for years, but I mean, really it was just Spider-Man comics were happening, but it was happening to Ben Riley, not Peter Parker. So it was Ben Riley fighting Scorpius, Ben Riley fighting Dr. Octopus. And 90% of the time, it didn't really matter except there's a little added intrigue with Ben Riley being like, how did Peter deal with this? Like, you know, they, he didn't have the last few fights in his memory. So he like, he knows how to beat the scorpion more or less, but he doesn't know about these new woos or gadgets. So it kind of allowed them to reuse ideas in a fresh way, which probably helped <laughs> for a minute for much more recycled stories and comics. Um, but after the 90s after he died and disintegrated so that you would never see him again and he comes back one, two, three, four times a lady um, 
it's kind of the same thing every time of him having to be like, well, you know, I'm a clone, but I'm not that angry about it because I have to fight Kane about it. Who's really angry about being a clone. And they did that. I don't know how many times. So I'm trying to remember after spider Geddon, which is after he had a solo. Yeah. Book so for a while, the yeah, Peter David time. wrote a, yeah, I guess this was the third time. No, wait, okay. So he died in revelations. Came yeah. back in Jackal and Maximum Clonage. Wait, no, that was the '90s thing. Uh, Clone Conspiracy was that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he ended up. Uh, you end up getting the revelation that he's evil because he's been killed and come back to life a whole bunch of times. Takes over yeah. Parker Industries, the whole thing, and then uh, he ends up going through a whole bunch of stuff in his own solo, written by Peter David. He ends up uh, basically well, just being a huge asshole. Yeah, and that's but that's like he came back again after and that's after he had a solo for a while. Before that, in line with Venom. Wait, what? In line with Agent Venom for a while. That was he had a solo before the Peter David one. Yeah. Wait, really? Oh, no, 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 no. I think you're thinking of Kane solo. Oh, because that was... But wasn't he in that for a while, too? Or am I misremembering? Because... I don't think he was. Because um, that ends oh. with... I mean, I think it's just Kane the whole time. Because we believe that... That's so, right, yeah. I got super stoked yeah. about Ben Riley coming back. Because uh, Joe Q answered some questions on MySpace comic book forums back in the day where he yeah, okay. hinted that Ben Riley was going to come back. And then that Raptor issue in brand new day came out where he was like dealing with Ben Riley. And I was stoked as fuck. Like I was seriously like so excited for Ben Riley to be seeing him again after more than 10 years. And then he didn't show up because he was dead. He was just in flashbacks and that killed me. But um, yeah. Okay, I guess. Okay, so this gets to my bigger question for you, I guess. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're a '90s kid. Um, yeah. What? Why? What is it about Ben Riley that captured you so? Because, uh, I mean, to me, he's just kind of the other blonde Spider-Man for a minute. So, I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to reveal something, which is going to make what I say seem a lot less valuable. Well, we're only in audio, so I'm not too worried. Okay, so Ben Riley was so selfless. Like, dude was like, he came back to Peter Parker. Oh, he found man. out he was Peter Parker. And then he was like, you know what? You keep your life. I'm just going to go out there and be my own guy. Like, that guy could have been like, get the fuck out of my house. Mm. I'm taking over everything. He could have done so many different permutations of that and said, he was like, you know what? No, go be with your wife. Go have your kid. I'm just going to take over everything here. Um, and every oh. time Peter was a dick for character assassination purposes, yeah. like he was like, you know what? No, you're my brother. Like, I love you. And then it's funny to me now because Peter never gives that love back to Ben ever. He's the worst brother ever. He just, He's like, you know, I'm over this. You're just a clone. Hey, he, he, I never on that level. I think there's a few moments where he's pretty gracious with Ben, but mostly um, not recently, though. Which is it, well, no, not like, recently, but yeah, 
the um it's like whenever he was like i'm gonna bring back uncle ben it's like that's whenever it was the final bridge that burned okay well i mean i see you're saying and now i'm kind of wondering something because this is something that was kind of gnawing at me because mm-hmm. when people talk about spider-man now they talk about like this paragon of good this like you know the the superhero not in like a power sense but like just selfless paragon, yeah. and always good yeah um but I mean, if you read early Spider-Man, like the Stanley stuff, <laughs> he's or, very flawed. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a jerk uh, in the really early ones. Then you get to the Ramita stuff, and I mean, they cool it down. But he's still the, the Spider-Man that I grew up understanding was more relatable to me because he would he would always do the right thing after having the most selfish thought first, like. Like, he would be a hero because that is his prerogative and that's what he will do. But a lot of the humor kind of came from the fact that he was annoyed about the fact he had to do something or whatever. Like, like in his humor, he was a jerk. And none of this came out better to me. Like, to me, my my crystal vision of this comes from a series of, like, Peter David writing Spider-Man back in the day. Yep. Um, and, I mean, that character is not... The Spider-Man people think about or talk about now. And I've been kind of like mulling it over. Like, and obviously there are different writers and different periods, but I'm kind of wondering if the clone saga kind of affected Peter and is that drawing line? Because not only is it that, and so you have the clone saga and you come out and there's kind of this there's a period for a while. And then I also think the JMS. Spider-Man had moments where he is maybe a hair more selfish, but the JMS Spider-Man run is, I don't know, it's written so well, it's kind of hard to put it to anything right around. But then pretty much coming out of the JMS Spider-Man run is when Dan Slott takes over. And Dan Slott, in interviews, has talked about how he knows other people like he calls on like the Brian Michael Bendis bit in Ultimate where he's making a bunch of fat jokes at Kingpin, right? Um, and if you've never seen a picture of Dan Slott, you know, uh, he <laughs> could have been the target of those jokes. I, I, I'm saying that not to say anything negative about Dan Slott, but I mean, he himself was saying like, you know, like, I get it. It's funny. Different people are going to do that with Spider-Man. That's fine. But he said when I was writing Spider-Man, I never wanted him to tell that jokes, but not just fat jokes. I never wanted to tell a joke where one of the fans who just, you know, by being a person of who they are, could feel targeted by it too, even if Spider-Man is saying that joke to a villain at that time, right? Because it's empathy born of, you know, his personal experience. And so that affected how he did Spider-Man's humor, which... I don't think is wrong or bad. I just know that is something Dan Slott did that is different than most other Spider-Man writers. Um, And so now, I mean, it's been that way for a decade. And I think in that time, the public profile of Spider-Man has shot up so much higher. Because keep in mind, the first big Spider-Man movie... Um, happened during JMS's run and then, you know, like uh, in Slot's run 
I mean, like the game came out that was based on a lot that he did, and then the Spider Verse movies came out, and then all the Tom Holland movies. And I forget where the uh, <sighs> Andrew Garfield Spider Man movies rested. I think that would have been during S- Slot's run too, or at least when Slot was yeah. on the book. Um, and with all that, I mean, the profile of the character has gone from you know big to astronomical. So, I don't know, it is just, sorry, that was a whole ass tangent. Uh, no, I like it. It's good. Yeah. So, but I mean, was there anything else about Ben Riley? Like, the way, like, was there some other stuff or, like, stories in particular? Because there were some things that they did with Ben Riley that they couldn't do with Peter Parker. Because, I mean, he was a different character that, like you said, had his own life. He had his own little side cast. Yeah, um, he had a great side cast. Uh, he worked at a restaurant where he was constantly late for work, uh, just like Peter. Uh, anytime that he brushed up against any of Peter's cast, uh, he'd just like kind of duck his head low and just be like, I don't know you folks, and uh, walk away. And that was fun. I really liked that he ended up dating the uh, the burglar that killed Uncle Ben's daughter. That was fun. Um, I think about her a lot. Actually, I used to really, um, I've believed literally all my life that he should have ended up with Felicia Hardy since she wanted Spider-Man without the Peter Parker. Well, I mean, but would she have liked Ben? I like, I feel like Ben Riley for the the differences between the characters, she would have liked less than. I agree, but I would have loved to have seen that explored. I mean, I I think it could have been explored in an issue. I don't know. (laughs) An issue? No, I want them to do it like six issues. Give me like a long, like, like them thinking that they're like meant for each other and then finding out the crushing truth that they are really, they really don't like each other. It's like whenever you um, date somebody with the same hair color as your favorite ex. Uh, sure. I like that. I like that. Sure. So, so here's where I, I reveal the thing that I was talking about earlier. So, I actually really love clones in comics, and I actually really also another favorite character of mine is John Paul Valley, which is the blonde Batman. So, oh god, the blonde Bat—that's a whole different, yeah. Which yeah, it's just basically happened at the same time too. Like, there's just '90s was just like clones was the big, big to do. Kind of like radiation was for the '60s, I guess, in a way. Like. Oh, you know what? I've never thought about it like that before, but that's a very good point. Because that was all in the news. Like, can humans be cloned? And then we cloned a sheep and we did this and we can grow a liver. But, you know, can we, should we clone humans? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Man, I never drew that parallel till just now. And now I'm just, huh. Wow. Yeah. That makes everything seem less special. Okay. Well, yeah. Ben <laughs> Riley was just really great for me. Um, he's been my literal favorite all my life. And uh, he's been like a driving force in a lot of ways in my life. And it's really weird to say that about like such a character and such a short shelf life. But like, uh, I'll be real. Like earlier this year, I had a heart attack and almost died. And as okay. I was getting driven to like the hospital, I was sitting there thinking about like, oh, it might have been like the last time I saw my house earlier today and stuff. And then the one thing that I thought of while 
like because i was trying to tally up they were like you should like think about things that, like reasons you want to live one of the reasons i wanted to live was literally seeing spider-verse with ben riley in it <laughs> i know <laughs> and then that character is just a joke in that movie it was great it, i felt so happy just that he got to be in something and it was just wonderful yeah uh I'm sorry to hear I had a moment. I didn't have a heart attack. I thought I was having one. Turns out it was just a panic attack. Um, hey, that's still something. It's, hey, did you go to the doctor for it? Oh, I went to the hospital and like, and that's... then I got the bill and I had another one. Um, <laughs> hey, let me tell you, that's that's the important thing. The fact that you went to the hospital for it. Most people that have chest pains that are heart attacks never go to the hospital and they just die in their bed. Like, that's not how you want to go. No, it isn't. I mean, yeah, it was a whole thing. Like I, like the di- whole day off and on, like I was having, it wasn't like sharp, but I mean, it was like kind of building. And then, yeah, apparently that's how pan attacks go. And you can't really tell the difference unless someone looks at it. But, um, but I mean, in that I kind of understand, like, I was thinking like, you know, like, what if I did just kick it and yeah. the things you think about, like that you're worried about, I mean, obviously, you know, like family, legit things there's that but there's also kind of like oh shit i'm never gonna see the next episode of this or all that too like the stuff you're looking forward to like next weekend or next month is kind of what's going to come to mind because that's what you were looking forward to just the weight isn't there in the same way so i mean i get it and i say that because i know some people like are embarrassed or like feel guilty about that in a way because it's not that important or anything necessarily but it's it's something you wanted to do and you want to keep living so you can do the things you want to do and you know there shouldn't be any anything negative about that so that's why yeah i wanted to say that because i just want to put that out there into the world i i appreciate that i spent i've spent 20 years or more uh, evangelizing Ben Riley to literally all my friends and family and everyone I know was super happy for me when they saw him in the trailer because they all know <laughs> what he looks like and yeah. then the cacophonous laughter from all of those people after they saw the movie and they were like that's what you've liked all this time like it was great <laughs> it was it was really satisfying but i'm pretty sure i'm gonna say it right here because i hope that it's true that the reason he's such a joke in that movie is because they're going to show the hyper like aware and positive and super spider-man ben riley in the second movie or the third movie yeah i mean you say you saying that now like i see what you mean when you say it but like i just don't think that's a general perception of the character and so i don't know i uh I think that's really interesting. The other thing that I'm thinking too now about is like what I think would make him a more interesting character is if they treated him kind of more the way they treat Miles, not that they need to have a book on him, but like if he was this other Spider-Man that could just like show up in other books from time to time or something like there's another Spider-Man out there and he's not the same Spider-Man and like he's just kind of Doing, like that feels like a good like background thing for Marvel, whatever, because they have some of those characters that you know get a mini here or there, but are, are really just kind of in the tapestry of the world. So that's actually how they were using him uh, after Spider Geddon. He actually showed up in the most recent, at least I believe it's the most recent Iron Man run. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just a security guard um, for like. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was 
just simple stuff, but uh, I didn't find out till like three months after it happened, and I had to go buy all the issues because I'm literally running a thing where like I have every appearance of Ben Riley ever mm. in my collection. So like, I, it was really crazy for me for him to just show up in something, and I really appreciated it. Yeah, no, I I understand that because I um was collecting every appearance of the Slingers for a while, but. I wouldn't find out until months later that like, oh, this book had this character in it for a little bit. It's like, oh, okay, we'll go grab that. And it's weird because I don't think there are any group of Marvel characters that just the percentage of their appearances aren't technically canon as much as those characters are. No, I agree. I mean, those, I mean, I don't even know where you'd start. I mean, you probably have less than 100 books, right? Oh, I mean, of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's not much. There's, uh, what's the big, so I mean, obviously there's the series, mini, yeah. um, there's mini, they're, they're series, yeah. Uh, there's a book called The Losers that, uh. I have that, it's a great, great read. Yeah, but it's not canon, because it wouldn't make sense, because they had, like, two of the, uh, um, power pack in there as adults, and that didn't, that wouldn't make sense. I have always wondered about that. They also have um, Monet in there, and I love yeah. her. Yeah. It's an interesting little book, but it also like Darkhawks in there, but like, uh, yeah. didn't like, I don't think that book uh, counts, which, I, whatever, who cares really? But like, it's just interesting that like uh, Ricochet, who's in there, like, that's the most appearance he's had, and it just doesn't technically count for the character. Um, they were in one of those Scarlet Spider, the Peter David Scarlet Spider yep. book for a pretty heavy percentage amount of that book. Um, and there's kind of like a few nods to them here or there. Like there's that Wolverine story you brought up earlier, Enemy of the State. Mm -hmm. uh, Hornet's helmet in hand is in one panel, and that's how you find out he's dead um, with the word balloon associated and uh oh and then there's what avengers academy with yeah, avengers uh, academy what prodigy yep prodigy's in there and yeah and i what's funny too is like for all the them pushing weird characters for marvel mystic stuff uh dusk has never really cropped back in i've thought about that a lot because i actually really liked dusk um in the the 90s i don't know why they don't get more facetime well also like they try to bring in more female characters when i'm like she's a female goth a female that sounds weird um but i mean she's a female <laughs> character that had some cachet that was you know in a in a section of marvel and if they kind of built her up so that when you had your big like Damien, son of Satan, Ghost Rider, and uh, Blade crossovers, and oh yeah, here's this goth girl that would. Make You're right. Sense. She like, should have been in Damnation. Like she totally should have been in Damnation. Like that kills me that she was not. Yeah, it, it would. It'd be an interesting. So for those who don't know, the Slingers got their powers from the way Marvel works. A demon, um, for the most part, and then they were all training to be superheroes with this. Da, da, da. But dusk was a girl and we don't really know what she got but she got this like full body black suit as part of it and their first night out training she goes to jump between buildings and misses and dies 
and comes back and is you know like mystic super like she can teleport she can summon things she can go through walls and she's not really there she's like a super powered ghost um and they never really gave that full story because the book got canceled, uh, canned pretty early <laughs> yeah. in um and yeah we just never really never really got the rest of that and the four all the weird mysticism stuff they have in Marvel and them wanting to make a thing of it and having a struggle because I I don't know how you feel about this. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I'd say uh, someone like Blade or Ghost Rider after your origin issue, there's not a lot you can do and there's not really a lot of stories with them that have stood out. I feel like there's a lot there but it takes a really creative or someone that's heavily into the occult or cryptids to really make that work uh, or make it interesting for people who are not in those worlds as deeply i mean um i i don't know if you've read some but there's some silver age ghost rider that's really interesting also 90s ghost rider with danny catch was uh, quite fun uh, i had a lot of things to work off of where it was like playing in the criminal underbelly of new york and stuff where it was just interesting i always thought the less interesting stuff was actually usually when they brought in other demons or anything like that by the time i would have looked at any ghost rider stuff and i did look a little i couldn't help just feel like it was diet hellblazer like mm, that's that's a fair point um but i mean i just feel like dusk in marvel mysticism stuff just feels like an easier reach to good stories because she's a better character to it and they just didn't. No, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly on that. She is a fun character. All the Slingers are good characters, though. There's not a one of them that I don't like. Well, actually, I didn't like Hornet that much, but he's dead, so. Oh, God, that's mean. Um, <laughs> my, my thing was, I thought Slingers was cool because it was from a very different generation than where all your big Marvel characters are from. But it also could have been a book that pulled at the various corners of the Marvel Universe and put them, like, between different things. Especially at a time where, like, X-Men and Avengers and stuff was more separated. And they could have easily ended up smack dab in the middle of one of their fights or something and been, like, and not really know who to side with. Because I, I kind of viewed them as... Uh, like, you know, you had Hornet, who was like, kind of like the techno babble side of Marvel. Um, you had Prodigy, who's the more like straight hero, like Avenger side of things. Mm -hmm. You had Dusk for the mysticism. And then you had Ricochet for kind of the mutant, more affected side of things. And like with that dynamic of them being a group, that could have really been interesting. I haven't thought about it. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah. And they kind of ended up doing something like that with Champions later, but it just didn't It didn't have the same pull because that team was a little too big and the characters that they pulled in for it were... They weren't team characters. They were a group of, like, bigger characters that they were pulling together to make it a weird team book rather than... How do I say this? The ensemble book rather than the team book, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Well, uh, I feel like we we ran it, we ran most of it down. Was there anything else about Ben Riley you wanted to hit on? Or I just love Ben Riley, and I hope that uh, one day the world uh, also loves Ben Riley the way I do. Well, I mean, I've been seeing more and more people who are fans of that era and whatnot, and I think it's um, I think it's akin to like Superior Spider Man in a way, where you have these moments where they pull away from the character you want to be Spider-Man. And I think there's just kind of an anger there. Cause I didn't care when Ben Riley coming, I wasn't getting Spider-Man comics month to month. So it didn't affect me at all. But when superior came out, I was angry. I knew that, you know, Peter Parker would be back, but I also kind of knew for the next while I didn't have Spider-Man month to month. And I just didn't. I just didn't buy Superior. I've gone back and I've gotten it all. But it's good except for the bookends. Um, but um, I, I think it was kind of the same thing with Ben Riley, where people wanted their Spider-Man. But now that we're past it, you can read it and you can look and see, like, what are the similarities? What are the differences? What was this moment in time? It's more fun to read that in a retrospective way than in a present month to month way, because I think there's a space that especially a Batman or a Spider-Man occupies for people. That's just a, a level of comfort food. And it's not about what's healthy for the story or healthy for moving forward. You just want your dang Cheeto and you want it to taste like a Cheeto you don't want jalapeno because your flavor is just, you know, regular. If that makes sense. No, I think that's a very good metaphor. way to put it. Yeah. Like the most recent time that I have enjoyed Ben Riley the most was in the uh, Ben Riley Spider-Man series. That was a, a mini running alongside the whole Spider-Man Beyond thing. Oh like, yeah. The uh, J.M. Dave Mateus coming back and doing it absolutely that was very very good and you're right about there's a lot of people who are more vocal now about liking ben riley like the other day i was in my local comic shop and a guy mentioned that he really liked uh ben riley and another guy said that was my favorite spider-man too and i said oh me too i love ben riley and the guy behind the counter said that's a bad sign three ben riley fans and i think about i've thought about that like non-stop since that happened like just a club. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was just like, ah, oh, man, high five. Like, I didn't know there was three of us. And it's just, it's really nice knowing that he is out there. He is getting some more fans, maybe. Not everyone's stoked about him being Chasm, so I'm glad I'm not alone. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's great. And you bring up a good point also, it being like Superior, because um, Superior has fans, but it's, like Ben Riley is a lot better when you go back and read it. Yeah, I think there's also too at the time in the nineties, like were you getting were you able to get books month to month? No, or... I was like three years old. I was picking them at a gas station like randomly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I mean you were trying to pick them up regularly, so you were even if it was spotty following it as it was going. 
Or... Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. here's the thing. I didn't know what happened to Ben Riley at the end of well, Revelations for yeah. years. Like I didn't find <laughs> out what happened to him till like 2000 or 2001. Um, oh, okay, so I was yeah. just, I kept waiting for him to show back up in another book and then he never did. Oh, you didn't know. And then, um, okay, yeah. yeah, he turned into literal powder. And the way I found out was, um, that big, I forget like DK books or whatever, the big ultimate guide to Spider-Man book. Mm. Um, it specifically had the panel in there where he turned to dust and I was just shattered. <laughs> like, what a way to find out. I was like, I... And I went, I took that book to school and then photocopied that page and put it into a notebook I had where I'd written about Ben Riley <laughs> because it just, that, that ruined me. And, uh, yeah, huh. it was just really funny. No, that's, that is, that's interesting. I, uh, I'm wondering too, because I mean, the way I thought about an access Spider-Man really changed um, when I started subscribing. And for a while, I did it like you had been doing through the uh, quote-unquote direct Marvel subscriptions run through another yeah. company, which I, for the life, like Marvel, you're a publishing company. Why don't you just ship out your own comics and not limit it to like, you know, th like two-fourths of uh, your publishing at any given moment uh but actually just let people order directly through you uh, um, it seems like a no-brainer yeah I, it's bizarre um but uh i i was getting new x-men and amazing spider-man and that was a big deal and the first issue i got was the 9-11 issue oh okay wow that's a that's what was that like for you? Well, it was super weird because, A, you know, I'm waiting for my first issue of Amazing Spider-Man to come in, and I don't know what it's going to be. And I'm just excited to get Spider-Man, and it comes, and I get this black cover. And I'm like, did I get a misprint? Like, what's going on? Because I had no idea. And keep in mind, they they ship those out, so you get them, like, three months after. Yeah, Something like that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I wasn't in the headspace of like, oh, this is going to be about that in any way. Also, I didn't know they were doing an issue. Yet. So I mean, I open it up and I start reading. I was like, oh, oh, and it just hit me like a brick because I mean, despite what some people might say, it was a national tragedy. I mean, even in the middle of Colorado, you know, I was kind of affected, and there was this whole there was an air around the nation. We were just kind of getting past it, and it all just kind of like hit me again. And it hit me in a different way because that issue captured a lot of the emotion of being there for the towers. And uh, in Colorado, I don't know how to put it, like some of it was at the towers, but there's almost more concern around the um, attack near the Pentagon. Yeah. Whatnot. Especially because there is reportedly for like during the day there was reports that there's going to be a strike somewhere in denver in the kind of more similar capacity more to like the pentagon than the towers um and so that was kind of in the air and a lot of hubbub around like well, what are they going to do we have there's a lot of uh infrastructure in colorado that people don't talk about as much especially anymore <laughs> yeah. but, but that was kind of in the air and so like I, that issue kind of gave me a different perspective on the whole thing. And that was a big deal. 
and then I just kept going. And if you don't know, um, this is the this is early in the J. Michael Straczynski run, which is considered definitively one of the best Spider-Man runs of all time. Mm-hmm. And so just getting that incredible. month to month as a subscription and me reading comics like that regularly and like being in the now with it, even if it was a couple of months behind. And um but also just getting them regularly. Because what I had done before that was I would just go to the comic shop and I'd just go through the back issue bins and like pick stuff out that I thought looked cool randomly. And no, so I do the it, same. Yeah, very different. It's a very different thing. Um yeah. So I chose I, all comics when I was a kid based on like how many characters were on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why team comics sold. Cause kids are like, why get Captain America when I can get the Avengers? Right. Like, exactly. I just wanted Wolverine and a bunch of guys that he knew. And then you get older and you're like, I'd rather have one good story than like a, a punch mug with, you know, 20 guys. Unless it's what if, uh, what if got me every time. Yeah. Yeah, what if is like my like one of my favorite like stories of all like just series. Like I could just read what if forever. Huh. I just it just came out used to joke about this all the time. It's just like what if everybody died? Like it was just like what if we change one thing, everybody dies. That's I like the ones that are like what if everything didn't happen the way it was supposed to and then it still happens in the end. Mm. Yeah, there are like, some of those. It's just funny. I like the ones that just went wild with it, but weren't as predictable. There's one. Um, what if Spider-Man kept the co- cosmic powers or the? Yes, that's uh, one of my favorite ones. I really love. Uh, what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? Uh, oh, okay. Um, what if Punisher had the Venom symbiote? I mean, there's a lot of just really fun silly ones that have just really good premises that uh honestly i feel like they should mine a bit more but they've mined most of them what if spider-man's clones survived i think about that all the time that's a really good one that's a really really good one peter dying and then him just being like with mary jane ah beautiful (laughs) it's like he never left you know that that is such an interesting concept of marrying basically your brother's wife, but it's actually your technical wife because it was you that was the original. Like, that's hilarious. That's some high-level soap opera nonsense. It is, and they didn't play off of it enough. If yeah. they had revealed when the baby was born that it was Ben Riley's baby, I would have laughed forever. God, that... Uh... <laughs> that is still the biggest thing for me with Spider-Man. People talk about, well, what about Gwen? I'm like, Gwen Schmen, like Norman Osborn killed his child. That is that's some grudge match. Like Yeah. I well, and after that, I mean, especially now as a parent, I'm like, well, what if someone killed your kid? I'm like, well then they're dead. I don't Yeah, exactly. There's that's just gonna happen. Like there's not even like a bartering there. It's just they're dead. Right, and with all the times Spider-Man has come so close to just pulverizing someone, like, after that, I'm like, why wouldn't he kill Norman Osborn? Like, it just didn't, it's just so weird to me. 
No, yeah. Um, honestly, this thought was a thought I had yesterday and today as I read through that most recent issue with him having the sins of the Green Goblin in him because I was like, I feel like if you remembered what he's done to you, you would probably straight up kill this dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure part of it, though, is that they're just saving that to end the arc. Because ultimately it'll be a Norman-Peter fight, but in reverse. No, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, nice, good Peter-Norman fight. It, it also, it reminds me a lot of um, House of M, Spider-Man. How okay. that Peter was also the Green Goblin. Uh, yeah. 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 I like that. That little tone in your voice. It's like, yeah, not really, but yeah, it's not that great. I just... There's a soundness that people play off of that it's medita- it metatextually makes sense, but it doesn't textually make sense, I guess. Like... Well, if there's a Spider-Man, there's a Green Goblin. I'm like, there's no reason for that. The only reason that works is because of what's been built up through the comics. But I mean, even then, I think people overplay the Green Goblin Spider-Man grudge thing. Because, I mean, he has almost as much reason to be as negative on Dr. Octopus, Venom. Yeah, Venom. Yeah. So... I don't know. I don't know. That's and that's kind of the... Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say that's been the problem with X-Men forever, but they finally fixed it where they didn't really have a villain for a long time, so they're just kind of quibbling. I actually really like that about the Krakoa age. I really like that they're all just kind of hanging out, being buddies with like Apocalypse and everything. I hated I Apocalypse like... being there so much. Uh, so, I don't know. I really like the idea that you could just kind of make friends with enemies and then like uh, you just have to like keep track of them and just be like, you know what? You're all right, man. You want a donut? Like just be really cool. Like that issue with Magneto, Xavier and Apocalypse in suits hanging out, mm-hmm. man, I would so love to see what the after party is for that. Yeah, I, there is an element of that, and that is what most X-Men fans liked. But there's so much in the Krakoa era that was just unexplored and just left on the table. And Hickman was clearly pointing at a number of things, and Dugan was too politically tone-deaf to even pick up on half of what was laid on the table. And even worse, uh, story-wise, just dropped half the balls like just did not understand (laughs) what was going on at all i i don't think they could have picked a worse writer to head up x-men right after hickman maybe they could have because i mean dugan is a competent writer but he's not a uh uh he doesn't do tones of gray i guess is the best way to put it and that's 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 a good way to put it yeah i I haven't caught up all the way. Um, all I know is that there's only one character I think I would absolutely not trust, and that's Mr. Sinister with anything. Um, well, I mean, no one did. 
Yeah, it's just like, man, every time I see that guy, I'm like, mm, I feel like you should be somewhere like where Sabretooth is. Like, put you at like a hole in the bottom of the island. Well, fun spoilers for you. You, you spoiled it. Um... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man, I'm so glad. I'm so happy I got right for once. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, though what that means now is dubious. Though, of all the things that was announced at New York Comic Con, the thing I'm most excited for is uh, it sounds like Percy's Wolverine run is ending with the Sabretooth War. Which is just Sabretooth <laughs> v Wolverine again. Oh. But I was hoping all... that there would be like a bunch of Sabretooths. Well, maybe, because uh, there is a bunch of clones of Wolverine running around, but also with the buildup of Sabretooth being this like hell beast now, I, I think it should be interesting. And I'm apparently a black sheep on this, but I think Benjamin Percy on Wolverine is just good a perfect match uh, a yeah, lot of people he's really good a lot of people do not like benjamin percy and i don't i don't understand why i think he's genuinely one of the best writers at marvel right now mm-hmm. i agree yeah and in saying that i just realized like i don't think i could name a female writer at marvel doing a book i or I guess yeah. There's like Teeny Howard and there's Alyssa Wong. I don't know. I could name a couple, but like no, none doing books that I care about. Um, I only know Teeny. Um, and it's only because I've been reading through the Krakoa stuff. But like, I'm like, I'm guessing one to two years behind whatever's current. Mm. Uh, I love her work. She's fantastic. I actually um recently started the Cerebro cast uh, because. Um, I was wanting to get more X-Men in my life. And uh, that's really fun, especially whenever they have Teeny on and they, they kind of go over what her preferences for things are. It's really just fun. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard that one at all. That's interesting. Um, oh, you haven't heard? Oh, man, it goes over one X-Men character every episode and just gives you like wide swaths of their life as well as like what they what they're talking about the wolverine episode actually has uh the duggan on it uh he actually talks a lot about wolverine um it's actually funny because that's what reminded me because i wanted to bring up to you because uh how he didn't like you and your take on his stuff um yeah it was he didn't actually say that in he, there did he because that would be incredible he did not, but okay, he did good. mention the fact that some people do link it to that kind of thinking, and he feels like they are, uh, I forget what, basically blind. Like, he feels like they don't... Yeah, really... they, we have a bad reading, and we're seeing things. Are, yeah, he, he told it to me yeah. straight. And I was like, dude, I laid out to you five real-world example connections of fascism to what was happening on Krakoa. <laughs> like direct parallel thing and uh, yeah i i am still baffled by that because i mean when people talk about like tone and stuff like like i've heard theories that like zombie stories arise when we have a republican-led government and yeah uh, empire stories come up when we have a democratic-led government and like that's a thin thin theory that people will pause that sort of thing on or like well, this story comes from the Reagan era because there's like a strong control from the government. So, like, really, 
loose ties that people call, you know, like, you know, reads on different pieces of media, usually movies and stuff. And I was like, okay, so you have a direct like combat for power and earning your place in society. Apocalypse set this up. You have, you know, like a connection of power and like a, a set group of people doing it, like an open Illuminati. And then everybody else just falls. Like I, I just laid it out for him, like laid it to direct how fascism works today. And he's like, no, this is just nothing. And I was like, I, what? <laughs> so uh, i don't know I, I i it's one thing for him to disagree and say no that's not how i see it and whatnot but i mean when someone lays out a reading for you pretty direct like that is an academic practice and if someone goes through all the steps to just say no is uh kind of lazy and the fact that you wouldn't just take a second to say like oh there is something there intended or not i also don't get it because honestly i've until i had never seen anyone talk to him about that until you talked to him about it and i thought that was actually what he was going for the whole time and whenever he did not like what you said i was like what <laughs> like that, that seemed like the most obvious thing i can't believe you didn't so you accidentally wrote that like, yeah uh well, in the way he had, yeah, the X-Men, like, brushing off the press for revealing their truth, whatever. And I was like, dude, like, in just a post-Trump era, having your heroes do this is dubious. He's like, well, you don't, it, it hasn't ended yet. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure you'll have a rejoiner at the end, but that doesn't mean, <laughs> that doesn't take away the story you wrote. It just has a conclusion, like but their instincts were to do this from the beginning. Like that's not great. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, as much as people talk about character assassination, assassination stuff, the way Dugan's written Cyclops to me is like a great example of it, but no one else seems to think so. So I guess I'm wrong, but I also wonder about that too. Cause you've been talking about Ben right. Like, do you feel Ben Riley's had character assassination or? Not really. It... I feel like he was kind of, I mean, I used to think that uh, Peter David's take on him was basically character assassination, but I've really? reread it a lot. Yeah. It's because he's just an asshole for no reason. And like, he tries oh, to well, like. With, yeah. Okay. I see it now. Yeah. To me, it was like, oh, he's angsty, not, but basically Peter Parker in a bad situation. So, of course, he's grumpy and curly at everyone, right? But to me, that's like baseline Spider-Man, like we talked about earlier. But if you think Ben Riley is so gracious and whatnot, I, I get it now. Just would have not, you know, before tonight. He gets so much better towards the end of that run. And I think mm -hmm. it's because Peter David was like, I'm almost done with this. Let's give him something. And mm. it, also him and Kane, I, I think a, I get a lot about Ben Riley um, after he died from how Kane would reference him in things and how Kane felt like he was a good brother. And he felt Kane felt bad because he hated Ben Riley for so long. And then whenever he finally came to around to liking Ben, he didn't have very much time with Ben because he just died. Um, so I think a good like lens to to view been through is during the scarlet spiders uh mini of uh 
the for Spider-Verse. Um, he's like a really perfect Spider-Man who does everything right all the time. Mm-hmm. And he still sacrifices himself in that and dies. And then whenever you have Ben Riley first come back into the 616, he is this uh, jackal who is cloning everybody and ruining everything. And then he gets his first um, written series and he's just a dick on like every page until the end. And it's just kind of hurts, but the the more time they spend on him and talking about his trauma from dying over and over again, you kind of understand that like, he's just got a lot of scars that you can't see. And it's just, more reactionary and he does start to get better by the end well then you get that end he was doomsday baby like yeah that's a great way to put it he was he was he was a baby on a planet and there was a rock that hit him again and again and again well yeah well uh more specifically a mad scientist killing him in new and exciting ways to just see what they could do basically um, not to make him the ultimate weapon, but to make him the ultimate. I, that was the part I didn't really get about what Slot was trying to go for there. It's like, why? What was it? The reason why is because they wanted to know why he turned into a different type of clone goo. He turned into powder. He didn't turn into goo like the rest of them did. Oh, God. That's, <laughs> so, that's I know. pretty thin. Uh... I mean, dude was able to reconstitute Ben Riley with all of his memories from the powder where they couldn't like redo the clone goo. So it was, I don't know, weird. So he has another superpower of you can rego if you just add water. Yeah, he's like a sea monkey. Yeah, yeah. That's just... Oh, that's, that's goofy. I just, where it was kind of steering that is like, I used to really like Cyclops as a character, but now it's mm-hmm. been so many arcs of, well, I don't really like this. Well, I don't really like that. And I'm like, do I just not like the character anymore? Cause that's just where they are now. Instead of like trying to be like, well, this writer did him wrong or something. It's like, well, you know, if it's three writers in a row, maybe don't like the character anymore and leave it there. I mean, if that was the case, I probably haven't liked Spider-Man for since slot left. Like, I I mean it's I, I guess I see where you're coming from. I, I don't think that it really I mean there'll be somebody else who takes over that book who writes that character like you like again. Yeah. I also I mean I feel like there's kind of a bandwidth on that. Like the amount of Cyclops you get even in X-Men comics is relatively thin to the amount of Spider-Man you get, because I mean it's Spider-Man across, you know, four books a month or whatever, versus Cyclops being in a handful of pages of X-Men once a month. Maybe a little more here or there. Um, That's a good point. But, like, um, Deadpool has kind of been that for me, where I'm like, I loved Deadpool through Cable and Deadpool. Yes. And then, interestingly, to what we're saying here, uh, Dugan did some stuff I liked. It didn't like. There's some various minis I like or don't like. But there's just a lot. Like the character is not what the character was. You're talking about the pool stuff, right? Which Deadpool? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I agree with that. Um, I, I like the I like Posein's run. Um, Dugan's run was was good. Uh, I just did not like 
all of it. Well, but I mean, also like um, up to the point I like Deadpool, there was like a handful of creators on it. And then it was really like Daniel Way for like, yeah, the better part of a decade. And then it was pushing. How do you say yeah. Hussein? Hussein, yeah. Hussein and Dugan and then just Dugan for the better part of a decade sans the like B book of whoever was doing four issues at a time uh, in the background. And that was Deadpool for the longest time. And since then we've had a few small runs, but nothing that really left any bigger impression on the character. And he hasn't really had a, uh, I don't know, Gwen Stacy moment of born again or anything. And so it's just kind of this character floating. That's a yuck, yuck that will shoot people, but nothing about what I loved back when. And so like, I don't know, is that character assassination? Do I just not like it anymore or whatnot? And just thinking that like to, I don't know, Ben Riley, Cyclops or whoever else like, yeah. In Deadpool's case, I feel like it's more like he's locked into a, um, he's kind of locked into a place where he can't really grow as a character. Like whenever I think about the last thing I liked Deadpool and I liked the weird Deadpool that showed up in the, uh, what, Adam War, War of the Atom, where uh, he showed up from like the far flung future. He was a member of the X-Men and he was like crazy. Like, okay. Yeah. 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 Like that's, it's been a long time since that. Like I, also liked him whenever he had that daughter that then he forgot everything about like <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a story it just was dropped um yeah i think the family was brought back like for a mention in a comic or something um but yeah no it, it is odd and it is that sort of thing where and that's something that used to be a bigger thing at marvel is um you know Captain America had his story and whatnot, but he also had his side cast with him, and that came with the book, and you'd move that forward. Spider-Man, his side cast, that would move forward with the book. And then got to a point where like every creator, like the side cast just kind of changed with the creatives. And there's Yeah, that whole that what put them back in the toy box thing, and then they'd be like, Okay, new toys. <laughs> Yeah, and it just, it got to a point where, like, once they started doing that, like, continuity just started going out the window. Because, I mean, like, okay, Spider-Man's going to go fight the shock or whatever, fine. But when he comes back, he's not dealing with Harry Osborn. There's no coffee bean, you know, like, there's no Robbie Robertson really to deal with anymore. There's none of that. Maybe Joe J. J. Jonah would stick around, but that's about it. But he might be dealing with a neighbor who has this young girl who's deaf and named Hope, and he's dealing with that for a little bit and then she just goes away or this <laughs> nosy like neighborhood guy who's trying to be friends with him who also works at the bugle and then he just goes away and a lot of that and no characters sticking around in like a captain america and then deadpool had a whole side cast and they all just went away yeah outlaw bob i mean yeah. Uh, Tasky Bobaski, like all of the great Deadpool side characters, Blind Al, I mean, yeah, Weasel. Ah, oh, man, like I just I don't get it. Like, I have not read anything Deadpool recently at all, but like, I just 
don't know. It's sad to think that like that book is not recognizable at all. I guess if I go and try to read it now, like there's not any characters. Right. And I, I think that loss of side characters is one of the biggest reasons why. Because it's just the superhero stuff. And that's something that I've seen a lot of people point to now is where there's no human characters really in these books anymore. And so everybody in Spider-Man has to be a superhero, right? Even Mary Jane. And then you don't have any grounding points anymore with um, whatever. And I say all this while J. Michael Straczynski's back writing Captain America, and he is building in some of that pretty directly, it seems like, from the one issue I've read, so we'll see. But um, Oh, is Captain America back to being a cartoonist? I like that. He's not doing bad. He's going to be like a landlord. <laughs> oh, I want to see Captain America unclog toilets. That sounds fun. Yeah. Woo. And I mean, if you're going to do an uncharitable reading, it looks like they're trying to make him be like the good slumlord. I, I don't know. Uh, hey, I do you think we'll get a moment where like he goes to fix like a broken like sink or something and he just kind of puts his hands over it and hope does it like it does in Secret Wars? That would be great. I mean, I, I wouldn't put past Straczynski like if he ends up with like a cosmic cube kind of thing, like using it for that kind of thing, too. Um, yeah, I dig it. So Straczynski is good about bringing the human moments, but then also taking the uh, the extraordinary stuff from the Marvel Universe and then bringing it to those human moments to make like a goof or a gag. Loki and Spider-Man eating a hot dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that or my my favorite one still is him uh, going to a place that's supposed to be demolished and uh, just wrecking the entire building, taking out some frustration, then jumping out. And you see the demo crew coming and the entire building just falls. And they're like, all right, well, that's lunch. Like, <laughs> That is that, a really great moment. Yeah, it, well, and those, like, to what I'm saying, though, like, those are the human moments. And those aren't even side characters. Those are just humans in the world that these superheroes are affecting. And other writers just aren't doing that. I don't And that's everything that made Marvel work. Like you get Lumpkin and the Fantastic Four being their postman, you know, coming through or uh, seeing how Daredevil affects everybody else in his building or stuff like like that. That's what Marvel is founded on and brought it through and what part of what sold Marvel from DC. Uh I agree with that. That's the stuff I like more about Marvel that DC seems to miss out on or seemed to miss out on because I actually seem to like the more secondary characters and a lot of DC stuff now. Well, that's another, like, um, when you look at that stuff, like, when I talk to older comic fans, they talk about, like, the Marvel-DC differences, but, I mean, as of 2000s, when I was reading more stuff regularly, and I could even point to a DC or a Marvel differently, like, is there really any difference anywhere? Like, if I know a Superman comic isn't going to be in Marvel, and so on and so forth, like, no Spider-Man in Marvel, but, I mean, other than, like, that, like, it's all the same creators anymore, right? Like, it's all the same mixing pot. Is it really different anymore? Or is it just different books? I mean, I feel like there's a taste difference if I'm reading Marvel to DC. I feel like okay. Marvel feels more like it's like, uh, I guess, I hate to say it, but I feel like it, it's a good way to explain it. Big budget. It feels like there's more okay. gloss. 
Uh, yeah. DC feels like maybe the story is more serious than the Marvel ones. Huh. Okay. Fair enough. That's interesting. I mean, I, I can buy that. And there is, and there has to be some different, I mean, there's some different people in some different conditions. So yeah, it has to add up somewhere. So cool. Well, we've been going for a hot minute now. <laughs> yeah, we have. Do you do you have anything else you want to hit on, or do you want to call it? Yeah, we can go ahead and call it. Um, I, I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on. It's been uh, I've always wanted to do a podcast with you, so I had a lot of fun. Yeah, great, glad to hear it. Um, do you have anywhere for people to find you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter or uh, X, as I believe it is now known. Um, you can follow me there. I am, I'm actually going to see what my name is now. It's at Colonel Eternal. Uh, I like the rhyming scheme there. Um, I have a picture of a cat. That's, that's my, that's my picture. If you ever doubt it. All right, cool. Well, I know I'm following you, so I'm good. And, uh, yeah, appreciate your time. Hope you have a good one. And, uh, if we can find a decent topic, we can, uh, do it again, maybe with a little more structure. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you again. Yeah. Cheers. Well, thanks. Yeah, have a great night. Yeah. Good night. Let's good see. night.